Hey guys, Tarkiat here, and today we're joined by Chris to talk about the state of the game. Before we get started, Chris, do you mind just kind of saying what your goal for today is? So, yeah, the community are expecting a lot from this. We have a lot of topics to discuss here, um, and I really want to thank all you guys for coming on and helping do this. I understand that you're actually risking quite a lot, because if we, if I don't answer the questions well enough, people will also blame you, and that's not particularly fair. And so I want to acknowledge that you guys have, in some cases, like woken up before 5 a.m. in Ziggy's case and, you know, disrupted your schedules to kind of do, you know, an emergency podcast as such to um, to ask a bunch of questions. And I want to emphasize here that um, you guys can ask any questions you want. I'll answer it, right? Like, you know, I mean, some answers aren't going to be great, but I'll do my best. I don't have support people here. There's no one else in the room to help me with stuff. I'm pretty much um, by myself here. And... This means that certain gameplay questions I'm going to have to give the answer of. I don't actually know the answer to that, but I've tried hard to talk to a lot of team members beforehand to get information for you guys. Um, the topic list should be pretty um, inclusive. There's a lot of different stuff, you know, that you guys have indicated you may ask us, and we're pretty much prepared for all of it. Um, we're going to be talking with other content creators as well. Like I've have a, have a chat with Zizarin lined up, um, possibly sometime next week for more questions. We don't know what the topics will be there yet. It really depends what's covered here. So I guess, you know, ask everything you can. Um, I'm going to be pretty candid with this stuff, right? Like normally we would wait until the 316 live stream and then drop a bunch of cool things, which would ideally fix all the problems. But I don't really want to wait that long. And so kind of marketing be damned at this stage. I'm just going to tell you changes that we're making in 316. And, you know, we'll do a live stream announcing them fully later. Um, obviously, they'll be, you know, iterated on by then. But yeah, expect a bunch of early info um, and hopefully a lot of transparency. Okay. Um, right, well, so to start off then, um, is the intention going forward to keep nerfing the game as suggested in the 315 marketing? So I think there's a bit of miscommunication there. We were trying to get across two points. The first one was that we wanted to make the acts more challenging, right? Like you've seen what we did with Act 1. When you play through it, it's a bit more scary now. And as far as I am aware, people are not explicitly complaining about the Act 1 changes, right? Like from watching streamers on the day and talking with players, they played through the new Act 1 and they liked it. And the problems they had were with other changes, like mana changes, for example. And so our intention is to continue to make the acts more challenging. So, you know, Acts 2 and 3 are underway and so on. And this, of course, does act a little bit like a nerf insofar as the fact that the monsters are more interesting to engage with. In maps, of course, you actually have interesting counterplay going on and so on. So as that process is completed, the game will become harder in a way that we believe is positive and I don't think people are really disputing. In terms of nerfs like the extent of the trigger gem stuff and the flask stuff and the mana stuff and all the movement skill changes, we tried to do as many of those as we could in one pass. We went through and made our list of things we wanted to try to buy some room with regard to power creep and made those changes. We don't have any more on that list at this stage, right? Like the list of 316 stuff is all good news. There's, you know, one tiny tweak to fortify, I think, and pretty much everything else is a buff. And so we also don't have a plan for 317 to make further nerfs. And I don't want to go out there and promise there won't be another nerf to Path of Exile, but we've done the changes we wanted to do to buy room for power creep, right? Like we understand people want exciting stuff and they want to be powerful. And so going forward, this isn't the first in many volleys, if you see what I mean. This is a commitment to continue to keep the game challenging and a commitment to find a way to fight power creep, but we don't have a pile more nerfs of the same vein as the 315 ones. And I think there was a bad miscommunication here where when the community misunderstood this, we didn't correct them. We didn't jump in on Reddit or on the forums and say, no, 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 you don't need to worry about this. 
And there's a variety of reasons for that. Um, partly, we've been busy fighting other, you know, trying to get expedition improved and that kind of stuff. Um, and partly because we're kind of scared of talking to the community at the moment. Like it's it's it hasn't been going well communication wise recently, and that's something we want to address. Which is why I'm here on the podcast today to try to sort things out. Um, I can understand that. To fortify, uh, just... sorry, just to clarify, because there's a history of by tweak to fortify, you mean that it's still going to be in the game next league. That sort of stuff. Fortify will still be in the game. And the the intention of the tweak, my understanding, is to make sure it fulfills its purpose as being for melee characters rather than for everyone. But And the history of Fortify, if you're interested, is that in a game like Diablo 3, for example, they've got flat damage reduction for melee characters. The Barb just takes 30% less damage than the other classes. And that's where their balance is, whereas we wanted to make it mechanical. Anyway, that's completely off topic. This shouldn't be about, um, this shouldn't be about Fortify. Just no, to but I need to know. Okay. Get, get, right, shut up. Uh, just to backtrack a bit, sorry, Rose. Um, you said that the community misunderstood the marketing. Why do you think there was such an obvious... Because I think it's a bit more than misunderstood. I would say it was more the marketing itself was very misleading. Yeah, I, I look, well, communication is a two-way street, right? It's much easier for us to admit we phrased it wrong as opposed to you guys heard it wrong, if you see what I mean. Right. We... It's difficult because when I relook, when I look at the marketing stuff and rewatch the live stream, I don't disagree with anything that was said, but it certainly gives the impression that we're starting a relentless campaign to just ruin the game patch after patch, if you see what I mean. We do want to continue to improve the challenge, and we are making the monsters more challenging and scary, and the whole, like, it's going to feel like the awesome Path of Excel of closed beta is true, but not in the way that I think people are worried about. Like, the zooming isn't really going away. Sure, there were movement skill changes that adjust the zooming slightly, but it's one of those things where, you know, the games that like looking at Path of Exile 2, for example, right? A lot of people are really worried because they've seen some footage of level 16 gameplay, right? Like this is literally the point just after you've killed Mervale in Path of Exile 1, essentially. You're not really that zoomy at that stage. You know, you don't have that many support gems on. Plus we were showing, um, you know, like it, it's designed to showcase game mechanics. And so it wasn't intended to be particularly zoomy behavior. So we showed some Act 2 um, footage. It was relatively slow. And people say, this is what maps will be like. This game is going to be really slow. The answer is Path of Exile 2 maps, of course, will be somewhat zoomy still. It's a game about power fantasy, right? Like you put together a character that's going to stomp screens of monsters, and that's certainly going to be true for Path of Exile 2. Now, I'd like it to be marginally less zoomy than we're getting in the extreme cases of Path of Exile 1. Like the whole thing where you're killing a screen before you've seen the screen of monsters isn't particularly great gameplay, but it's still the case that you're going to have very fast gameplay where you're fighting monsters packs at a time, you know, like what players are used to. Um, and so I I agree with the marketing for 315. We gave the impression that, you know, we don't like that kind of gameplay and we're going to slow it down a lot. But it's mostly the cases where you don't actually get to engage with monsters. And we were trying to be pretty careful with our footage we showed in the live stream. The footage talking about the bad gameplay has monsters melting before they're encountered. Whereas our ideal situation is, you know, the white monster gets off half an attack. The blue monster actually gets a chance to do an attack and rare monsters last more than one and a half seconds, ideally. Um, taking a step back, just a few a few concepts. Um, you mentioned that with all the nerfs that were going in with 315, you you explicitly wanted to like bundle those out together. You had this checklist of things that you wanted to get done and you tried to throw them all in in 315. Do you think that was a successful approach or with hindsight, would you rather have spread them out across a number of patches? Well, and it, well, in hindsight, uh, given how the community reacted to the nerfs, I'm really glad that was localized to just one release, right? Like a few mm -hmm. of those in a row isn't great. Um, in addition, 
we felt that doing a bunch of stuff at once and getting to rebalance around it is better than having to substantially rebalance the game three or four times, both from a time point of view and in terms of the players getting to relearn one new meta, if you see what I mean. Like, this is a new game, try it out, is something you don't want to have to do four times a year. Um, the problem really was, like, some of the nerfs we did were just wrong, right? Like, we don't like the result of the flask changes. We did not like the result of the mana changes. We're completely agreeing with the feedback, you know? Like, yesterday we had a meeting, which is basically we screwed up on several on several fronts with these changes. Um, you know, like, there was discussion of reverting all the flask stuff back to the flask piano state, and we have a better solution, um, which I can you know, freely talk about if needed, but... Yeah, go on then. Yeah. The mana stuff got rolled <laughs> back quite hard soon after release. You know, it yeah. just it just wasn't it just wasn't right, right? Like, and, you know, I can give excuses for how, you know, it came in rather late and we didn't get enough testing in on it or whatever, but we just completely screwed that up. And that, that has hurt the game and it's something which I will apologize for unreservedly and make sure isn't happening again. And I understand that that's just words. I'm crossing things off the bingo card intentionally one at a time here. Um, <laughs> but... Yeah, there were there were changes there that really shouldn't have been made in the form they were made in, and that's causing a lot more care, a lot more careful stuff in the future. And I think that there's there was a little bit of a culture of us putting more nerfs in because we were already doing a bunch. Like people are going to mm -hmm. already have to learn about these nerfs. We may as well do everything we wanted to do, and that caused it to be a bit careless, um, which has had consequences that we don't want to see happen again. And so we're a lot more careful with this stuff. With our current planning. A question about the mana stuff then in regards to 3.16, uh, the next one. Could we then expect, say, there are certain builds that are almost not functioning right now due to mana changes. So are you going to make like a, a broad pass essentially on all the um, mana multipliers and such to make sure that they fit like the, more like the, st the state the game was in before? Like so. The state the game was in before, while mana was a lot easier, it still wasn't perfect. At that stage, the mana multipliers just hadn't been reviewed in a long period of time. So pre-315, mana wasn't in a particularly great state from a mattering kind of point of view. Stuff was a bit easy. So the 315 changes were relatively aggressive and were not tested fully on enough builds. And so we've rolled that back to a better place, which we're pretty happy with. But I definitely think a further review is necessary. If there are builds that don't work, and if they should work, which I'm assuming they should, then that's probably something we want to look at. Um, we're not talking about specifics here. Like, I don't know exactly which skills you're talking about, so I can't make a promise. But I do believe the team are going to go through and make sure that that is a resolved issue. I mean, they're going to watch this podcast afterwards, make notes, and sort the things out we discuss. So while um, I don't know of any upcoming minor changes, it's still early days with the 316 balance stuff. Uh, without getting too much in specifics, I'm assuming people mostly mean reservations, so stuff like spell slinger, herald of agony, purities, etc. Yeah, um, mainly. So just to double back a little bit before we talk about the maybe flask leaks, when it comes to the actual pace of the game and like speed, because that seems to be a big thing, is people saying like, are you trying to slow down the game or not? Are you trying to slow down Path of Exile, and do you want Path of Exile to be a slower game? We have a problem with someone entering a screen full of monsters and them already being dead on the ground because their attacks were able to kill them off screen before there was any meaningful combat, right? That's the thing we want to address. We do not want it to be a slow game. Like, let, let's say it's running at 1500% and we want it to run at 800%, right? You know, it's still, it's still a very fast game. We're not trying to make it so you methodically fight each pack hand-to-hand, -hand, you know, like um, some of the Path of Exile 2 footage where the player's enjoying doing that. That's because that's an, a low-level character trying to demo off mechanics and so on. So 
I don't know, should we make like footage of us playing maps and say this is how fast we expect it to be? Maybe that's easier, but it's still fast, right? It's still going to be action-packed, relatively quick map runs. Um, we just want there to actually be a game there, even for pop characters. So oh. we don't plan to make any further changes at this stage to speed. Um, we're cognizant of the fact that when we introduce new content, if it comes in powerful, then it will cause power creep, and we need to do something about that long term. But um, there are probably better ways of addressing that like adding more challenge on the end of the game, for example. The, the I think that's a good idea to set an expectation of like, this is where we want the game to go and this is why we think that's fun as well, to explain mm. that. Yeah. It was a very worthwhile suggestion. Some people suggested that you guys could stream like actual footage of this sort of stuff or record a video. I think many people would find that very useful. Whatever it takes to reassure people, right? Like the difficult thing about the recent anger from players has been that these are people who passionately care about this product, right? These are not our enemies. These are people who are our friends who really want Path of Exile to continue to be a thing that they enjoy. And so I want to reassure those people that we also want exactly the same goal, right? Like the resounding feedback I get internally when we're going through the feedback is everyone just agreeing with it for the most part. I mean, sometimes there's disagreements, but, you know, it's, it's basically that we all want the same thing here. And I think that's really important. And sure, you know, we have stumbled a bit in 3.15, but it's with the intention of providing you with a better quality game. You know, we, our goal here is to provide, is we're looking at a 10-year view. And so fighting power creep is something we need to do before the game becomes a parody of itself. Um, the reason why I want to just double back on that point a little bit is I think uh, one of the main frustrations with the community is it often feels like GGG says one thing and does another. And there's kind of been a lot of that with 3.15. If there is an intention to make the game a little bit more engaging, still be fast, but not like constantly off-screening, why do we have so many league mechanics that are pushing players who don't even want to play fast builds into playing fast builds? Legion, Incursion, etc. This is an interesting thing we've had a bit of a chat about, where you want to encourage people to play more powerful characters so that items and skills and player skill actually matter, right? The game has to implicitly say, you have done a better job than you were doing before. Here is more stuff as a result. If you design leagues where performing better has no benefit, then it is not as fun because the act of growing your character and improving it has less payoff. And so implicitly, this type of game has a little bit of a speed clear thing kind of going on, saying to you, if you work out a way to kill monsters more effectively, to do it in a safer way so you can keep fighting longer and so on, you get more rewards, kind of has to be the direction it's going. Now, that doesn't mean we need to have, like, you know, timers everywhere. And we're kind of alternating. Like, Expedition, for example, didn't explicitly have timers, but we were careful not to point that out because we don't want to make a promise of no more timers. Combat leagues like Delirium and so on have for a period of time, you're going to be fighting a bunch of monsters. The more powerful you are and the harder monsters you can kill, the more stuff you get. And that's healthy. It's just that we want to make sure that it's also very playable by a variety of builds and people don't feel pigeonholed into playing just a few that are capable of doing that content quickly. It Would it not be safe, sorry, Tim, would it not be safe to say, though, that playing fast is already its own reward because the faster you play, the quicker you achieve everything. So do you then need to further emphasize that with um, league mechanics? Um, it, it is a fair point, but there's also an aspect of, um, how, how should I phrase it? Like, for Incursion, for example, you have a specific amount of stuff you want to achieve during a time limit, and that creates tension, right? If we just said you go back to the past and do whatever you want, um, a, lot of the, a lot of the interest of that league goes away. And so we're careful with timers, right? We want to have it so it feels seamless and that it is not too, and it doesn't let powerful characters double dip, as you're saying, but... Um, 
I think we'll find an appropriate use for them in the future. We really don't want to commit to saying there's no more timers ever in any future league. That will make the game really boring. You know, we're very aware of the timer issue, right? Like whenever we make a decision, the question is raised, is this a speed meta kind of thing we're doing here? And what are we going to do about that? Um, and then finally on that, and then I'll let someone else go for a bit. Because um, the other big thing that I hear a lot of is you, there's a big frustration with players where they feel like they want to be playing tankier builds and they already struggle making their builds tanky enough and they feel that in the act of making their builds strong, they can no longer engage with the mechanics. So it feels like, if not intentionally, you're pushing, going fast, because if you do fast, you're better at the league mechanic. You're more likely to stay alive because monsters won't kill you. And also you're going to be playing squishier builds and then it leads more into this gotta go fast, softcore Zuma uh, mind space. Yeah, and that's it is interesting because I'm not advocating everyone plays hardcore, of course, but that problem kind of sorts itself out in those league modes because if you choose to be reckless with your build decisions, then you are taking a risk and may have to redo your character. Now, in softcore, of course, this does mean that maybe the right choice is to be a softcore zoomer and just rely on the fact that occasionally your character dies and you have to lose a portal or whatever. Defenses are a big topic internally. Um, we are aware of the fact that there is always a give and take regarding um, additional player power and additional player defenses. Uh, this is something that does guide a lot of our balance decisions. And I think you will find in the future that there is... I've got to be careful here because those plans aren't particularly clear, but they're... we're trying to make sure that there are easier easier defensive options available to more characters so that people are able to invest in that easily if they need to. Um, or it implicitly comes at the cost of speed clearing, of course, because you are choosing passive points and where to allocate them or choosing what items to wear. But yeah, we, we're not 100% happy with the state of defenses either. Go on, Octavian. Uh, my point has kind of been covered since I was going to make it, so I, I keep keep going. I'll chime in again later. Um, so you teased a little bit about maybe Flask. Would you be willing to talk about what about the current state of Flask do you think was a failure and what your plans for Flask are? So we weren't happy with the Flask piano stuff before. And so our intention here with the um, with the changes was to... Our intention with the changes was to try to reduce the RSI stuff as well as reducing the overall power of Flasks. And from what we can see from feedback, people aren't too concerned with the fact that flasks are a little less powerful than before, but a lot of the other changes just fell completely flat. And so I, there's been a conversation recently about our suggested improvements to flasks in um, the next expansion, and I think it's honestly best for me to just go look it up on our issue tracker and just read you the suggestions for what they're wanting to change. I mean, it's certainly taking some wind out of the 316 marketing. Okay, where are we? All right, so this is me reading notes that I have not prepared a script for. So the first change is within Kindling Orbs. The team are discussing buffing them carefully as high as they can go, right? So they basically want more power through in Kindling Orbs, um, and they think there's some room there. The next thing is a complete revisit of all mods on flasks, and they want to separate this so there are two completely different mod pools. The first mod pool is for proactive mods, that occur on utility flasks. And reactive mods is a second mod pool that occur on life and mana flasks. Because there's this implicit problem at the moment mm. where you have two totally mm. different purposes. Either you need to recover resources, in which case you have something during that, or you believe a situation is about to occur. Um, you know, it's kind of it's kind of pointless to have certain mods on certain types of flasks at the moment. So they're explaining that life, minor, and hybrid flasks are reactive ones, and utility ones are proactive, and mods will do different things depending on which type of flask. 
They also want to add tiering to the mods. And so that means that you can get higher levels of the different flask mods and higher content. So for example, the example they're giving here is with adrenaline. So they say that on a utility flask, adrenaline gives you move speed during flask effect. And there are four different tiers of it, for example. So uh, by eye level 85, it's quite a lot higher than the starting one that you get at the beginning of the game. But then when adrenaline is used on a life or mana flask, it gives you onslaught for X seconds on use. And so this lets you have both proactive and reactive versions of a lot of the mods. They then want to add crafting mods for flask suffixes. They want to add it to regular Helena crafting. They want to um, do a review of belt mods. They want to have a look at unique jewel buffs. They want to review flask-focused uniques. Um, there's this quote here that says, your flasks are always in effect as something that they're looking at potentially for a unique. If you're playing the one, two, three, four, five, you know, piano playstyle, maybe there's a unique that just turns all your flasks on and leaves them on. Um, there's a bunch of stuff here. They, they're they worried about unique flasks uh, because there's a lot of power in that case. And that's something that I suspect um, is going to be quite carefully reviewed. But the general system of having mods on your flasks and, you know, having curse removal and dowsing working correctly and so on needs a lot of work at the moment. And the direction they're going in here is trying to achieve that and get back a lot of what was good before. Um, so flasks are in a better place. Um, Nugi, you had a good question about flask charge generation, if you want to go for that. Yes, it's actually what I wanted to, like, uh, ask now. So what I'm hearing here is there, so you wanted to combat RSI as one of the points. But what you're doing here is not really doing that. It is in some unique situations where you can finally set up, like in Kindling Orbs, or like the unique flask. But that's a broad spectrum that doesn't really get solved through this. Because PoE has, ever since its inception, kind of had this problem where speed is related to how fast you kill monsters. The flasks recharge depending on how fast you kill them. And once you get to a certain speed, like a sumer speed, well, then they're always being recharged fast enough. So we're we're already back to the the except for some unique builds, we're already flask pianoing again. And I, yeah, I, I guess I guess that would be like my first point. Like, how do you address like the flask pianoing versus the killing monsters? And that also leads into this constant push to kill the next pack. There's no, like, it doesn't promote a slower playstyle ever. It'll always promote go fast. Yep, that was exactly brought up in the flask meeting that we had. Now, there's a couple of things here. The first thing is pressing the flask buttons isn't necessarily a problem, right? Being forced to yeah, hammer yeah. them constantly can, of course, you know, hurt your wrists over time, and we're careful about that. So instilling orbs still exists. You can still trigger things on conditions. There's still a degree of pressing buttons that's removed by having the ability to, you know, oh, I got... Mm -hmm. Fire, I'm going to use the correct flask for that. Um, in addition, a lot of the reason why this is a problem is because of the power of unique flasks, which have been reduced quite a bit and are going to continue to be reviewed. The team are aware of the fact that it does play into the speed clear meta, and I believe that the, I believe that the resounding direction they're going in is to kind of to acknowledge that you want to have these effects, these effects up moderately permanently. It's just a matter of having the effects that would be a reasonable level, and so. You know, there's this discussion like just having the effects on all the time. How would that affect it, right? And I don't think we're doing that. But the team are very aware of the fact that it does play into speed clearing. Um, 
What we would normally do is make a news post with a bunch of information here. What notes I've read out to you here are basically just the internal notes of a half-finished discussion showing the direction of where it's going, but you can definitely expect significant flask changes. And one thing we've learned here is not to just like tell you how the system works a week before release and then oh, that's what we're getting, right? This is going to be a dialogue, you know. You've heard the, the first version, you've got great feedback on it. Um, the individual designers who are working on this will be better to discuss that than me. It's kind of one of my points I wanted to make in this was Chris doesn't do everything. So I try to be as aware as possible of everything, right? But there are literally 500 things going on, right? There's discussion of what's happening in Act 3 of Path of Exile 2 that I have to also be aware of. And I'm jumping between these topics moment to moment. And I'm very happy to be the face of the game in terms of taking the flag for when we do something wrong, because implicitly that's me who didn't supervise it correctly or whatever. But a lot of these decisions here, I don't actually get to make. I just have to bring them to the community and justify them. Now, this means in some cases I haven't heard of things before they're getting announced, which sucks and that's my fault and I should make sure I do. But I'm confident in the team. Sometimes we screw up and we'll try to fix it. Um, in the case of the Flask stuff here, I have I have overheard that conversation. They definitely considered what you're talking about. Um, I don't know exactly what their response to that was, but this will be a conversation over the next few weeks as we, you know, we'll do a news post explaining changes when they're in a more finished form, get some feedback on it, and not just surprise people with it just before the patch. We tossed around some other slightly larger ideas like flash touch cooldowns or flash generation over time, which I think help slower builds and and like people who want to take their time a bit more but don't really necessarily overly buff strong builds that are already strong since they're already generating a ton of charges by clearing anyway. Have you guys explored any of that discussion yet? That was also mentioned. Um, the thing that... I don't think that people have a problem with the changes we made to the flask, um, to flask generation internally. I believe that the main thing that we're worried about is increases to flask effect. It's like the the main thing that worries us here is the fact that unique flask especially gets some really powerful effects that contribute so much more to your character than other sources of power. Like we were looking at other action RPGs, right? For almost all of them, flasks mean you get some health recovery. That's pretty much it. Like look at Diablo 3. They've got your mana mechanic doesn't involve flasks and you have limited use of some health recovery. Um, it's basically glorified leech. And so we have this thing in Path of Exile where you're just getting masses of power from this set of buttons on the bottom of the screen. And so the, the, the importance of charge generation ties into how powerful those are. And I don't think they're finding significant nerfs to this. Like the intention is not to nerf last further. But they definitely acknowledge that the changes that were made in 3.15 were somewhat of a failure at actually addressing any Flask problems. Um, I had a weird experience this league where Pathfinder felt so good, but as soon as I swapped other classes, I was like, oh, this is what pain feels like. Mm. <laughs> I think yeah. that's like what a lot of people are experiencing with the Flask charge uptime and Flask charge generation right now. I... Sorry, Raz. Um, yeah, go ahead, Raz. Go ahead. I just wanted to ask, because all of these things sounded... Insanely good, good until you mentioned tiers. And in general, I have a large concern when it comes to accessibility because I think that was a big problem with this patch in general. When it comes to Flask, people couldn't get the sort of roles that they wanted in their Flask to make Flasks feel good by the time they were either done with the character. And the same thing for me was mana. If a build needed mana on gear and you didn't have that mana regeneration on gear, the build doesn't work. And that's kind of when I heard the tier stuff, is it going to be a matter of a difference between having access to the same thing but stronger or would it be a different tier and then the actual functionality of the flask so i don't know the automatic clicks or whatever will that be 
more accessible than what it is right now. The tiering is like how you find an armor that's got five life and then later on it's got 20 and then 70 and so on. Um, you can't have it the highest tiers drop on the beach, basically. You need to put them in higher level content. So it's basically just saying that Flasks never had tiers of mods. Every other type of mod in the game has tiers. Um, and so this is basically using that design space there to allow more powerful mods than you currently have. Like people don't like the current Adrenaline mod because it's a small amount that's appropriate for the beginning of the game, you know? And so that is tiered to four tiers in the current design here, which get to almost three times as powerful by the final tier. I get the accessibility thing, but you know, there's a very limited um, mod space on flasks. It's relatively easy to roll them, and the team are looking at putting it on mastercrafting. So I don't think there'll be a particular problem making flasks that are good. I mean, obviously, it takes some work to get perfect items. It was definitely a mistake to have the instilling orbs and enkindling orbs be so tricky to apply the exact effect you wanted, especially instilling orbs, right? It bricks the item if you get the wrong trigger condition on it, and there were like 15 of them. So that was dumb. We fixed that already, I believe, but you know, you, you are completely right about, about accessibility of that. I, I think the the one thing you have to be careful of in you know giving flasks more varied roles based on item levels is that core defensive layers in a build that a character might rely on in you know a solo cell founder early trade league environment on hitting maps are not locked behind a tier of content that they can't access you know like like your ability to deal with curses or your ability to deal with freezes and that sort of thing um and i think that's really what flasks were papering over for the large majority of path of exile's history and and has been one of the larger pain points because if you play something like Pathfinder, or even if you just get a regular character to the end game and get a flask belt and a couple flask nodes on the tree, it really doesn't feel significantly different to previous leagues, um, at, at least to me, with a well, couple nodes invested. Let's talk about elements, right? Because that's one of the okay. that's the elements in the room with flasks, because a lot of what people were using flasks for was to get immunity to elements. And I'll read you the element section, okay? Of all right, so the team want to bring back a lot of ailment mitigation. They've said further add ailment mitigation or avoidance to skills, for example, purity of fire, ice, lightning, purity of elements, adding more powerful mitigation to various debuffs and effects on the Pantheon, um, add one for each ailment immunity, um, minor ideally, but freeze on Bright King. Um, the ones we build monsters around, like Ignite and Poison, should be high reduced effects instead of complete immunity. Add clusters to the passive tree to mitigate poison and bleed, similarly symmetrically to crystal skin. Add mitigation to bleed to steel skin, potentially changing bone armor from the necromancer ascendancy. Add mitigation to ignite to molten shell. Add additional corrupted implicits on various items, but jewels in particular for mitigating ailments. Change consecrated ground to provide 50% reduced effect of curses on those with buff moving curse effect mitigation cluster to be more central and thus more accessible. Add additional jewel mods to regular jewels for mitigating elements to the regular mod pool. Order existing avoidance and mitigation mods, in some cases buffing them. For example, the Abyss Jewel element avoidance mods currently can be up to 20%, changes to be 35% or so. Order crafting options for mitigating elements and ensure there are enough options, especially at low levels. Change shield, shield element avoidance mod to be on all shields. Add crafting options for cannot be shot, chilled, ignited, poisoned, take no extra damage from bleed while moving, cannot be frozen from the Brian King and so on. And so this is early work in progress, but basically, yeah, ailments throughout the game. I think this Perfect. is what people expected and wanted to happen this patch when you said that yep. we'd be getting other ways of dealing with ailments. Yeah. 
So is your main intention with the new ailment system that they kind of operate like resists? It's something that you set up for your character and then it's like there's some opportunity cost, but then it's sort of dealt with. That kind of sounds like what yeah, and you can choose what's important for your builds. Certain ones won't be as important to mitigate. Um, putting them on pantheons as well mean that you can actually move that around, right? Like to some extent, the pantheon powers have been kind of irrelevant for quite some time, but we want it so that if you do need the ability to situationally chop and change that, you can do. A point I would like to make here, uh, in relation to 315 as well, as to why this is so important, because when you make these overall changes because they could be that in the future you're going to make some major changes again to the game because something is out of whack mm. um but when you are making these great changes i think it is so important that the tools that you're removing from the game always are available immediately because i i do know that you try so the, the flask for instance with the um the aquamarine which wasn't probably functioning against the freeze yeah. i think whenever you take anything away from the player that gives them a loss of power like freeze is one of the things that removes complete control of the character. I think that's one of the biggest instances of where you can see players immediately are saying, I'm out. And it's the same thing when you're talking about Flask now and, and solutions to uh, potentially the next league as well, is if, if Flask is supposed to solve an issue, they need to be available. And by that, I also mean, um, you know, they need to be available as um, like their uptime. Uh, just a quick note back to the flask from before. So I think it's good that you're adding this to flasks, but flasks on slower builds right now, you actually lack this ability to maintain them. So I would actually like to ask, what are you gonna what is the what is how do you make flasks as a tool that faster builds have available when they need them? would then be more available for slower builds. Because let's say you want to engage in a pack and you have decided that, well, we want to keep power in flask. We want them to make feel impactful. But gaining five charges when you get hit is completely unreasonable, right? Or when I get crit. Like these are like the mods that are currently on the flasks. And these are the ones that would then kind of encourage you to have longer engaged fights, but they don't really work. They only work for speed clearing. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. I'll make sure the team discuss that. Um, I can't make it myself. Just to circle back briefly and then we'll move away from Flask. I think a lot of this just comes down to, again, like chat seemed really happy hearing these things, but it kind of, it comes to a lack of context. And I think that's been one of the big pain points for 315 is players not understanding what the vision is. And you said there was a miscommunication there, but is there ever the opportunity? I know like a roadmap is a bit extreme, but that you'd be better with representing this is what our immediate plan is. And this is what our future plan is. The tricky thing is there's some context that we didn't explain to people properly, um, kind of because it was a future feature and that's been in the background and kind of affected how 315's development went down. And I was hoping to just like talk about it on the 316 live stream, but if people want to know that we're not crazy and actually want to understand like why things are playing out how they are, then it may be better just to talk about it. Yeah. No, don't. It's okay. Okay. Yeah. We'll skip Thanks, Rhys. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Chucky, next question. Rhys, no. <laughs> um, well, so I don't know. This is this is something which I actually imagined myself writing like a proper live stream thing for and talking about, and I'd be all excited. And honestly, it's the thing that I found the most interesting to work on over the last couple of years. 
The problem is that I feel politically announcing this at the moment is just going to be quite negative. Like this is um, kind of difficult. So we'll see how it goes. Um, it's okay. This is a bit of a rant. So bear with me for a while. Yeah. Um, I want to emphasize that what I'm about to talk about is completely optional. This is not something that affects mainline path of Excel. This is a, well, likely to be either private league mod or potentially a thing like solo cell found that you can turn on as a variation for the league you're playing, like a third tick box alongside hardcore and solo cell found. So the backstory is early in the design of 3.15, we were doing quite a review of other action RPGs and having a look at itemization in them and stuff like that. We care a lot about the, the way that the game feels to play and the progression of items and, you know, difficulty and that kind of stuff. And we realized that um, one thing that Path of Exile had lost over time was kind of this concept of item upgrades mattering a lot. You know, there's a situation at the moment where you engage with some league content, get a bunch of rare items, equip them, carry on through the game. You're kind of ahead of the power curve. You're finding plenty of currency. Like, you're not short of the ability to make good magic items. You're kind of not caring about magic items. In fact, magic items matter for half an area, and then it's into the rares. And this continues throughout the game. You generally have access to quite a lot of powerful stuff. And, you know, Path of Exile is Path of Exile. And this is a popular game. People like it. We don't want to interfere with that. But other action RPGs play Diablo 1 and 2, right? The canonically amazing action RPGs of generations ago. Very hardcore experiences, not necessarily appropriate for most Path of Exile players necessarily. But those items in those games, like, if you... I played Diablo 2 through recently, and I still had blue items on at the point that I killed Diablo, right? I had a blue item with one mod. The ability to get an augment would have meant a lot to my character. That would have been extra resists, right? And so we've been playing with this as a concept, the idea of basically having a mode to Path of Exile where itemization is entirely different than what people know at the moment. It's basically the ultimate challenge where... You know, getting through Act 1 is challenging. Getting any further through the storyline is very difficult. Getting to maps is difficult for most players, right? Getting, making any progress in maps is hard due to significant item scarcity. And by this I mean, you find a rare and you say, yes, a rare, what is it? What can I do with this? This has trade value, right? It's a quiver. People are going to want a rare quiver. I don't need it, but someone else is going to. And it's exciting, right? You, the currency is so limited in this potential mode that the ability to add mods to items is an incredible thing. And so we've been experimenting with this, right? Um, and initially, this was just a thought experiment, right? This isn't something we can release. I have no idea what chat is saying there, but it's probably not pretty. This is something that's incredibly divisive, right? Most Path of Exile players will say, cool, I'm actually happy with getting a ton of items, like finding 200 <laughs> rares on the map. I'll take my 200 rares over three, please. Um, and fair enough, they can continue to do that. But there will be people watching this who love the idea of actually having item upgrades that are meaningful and being significantly under the power curve until they can find items that let them solve that. So we've been playing with this internally. Um, the internal name we have, which is a terrible name from a marketing point of view, is hard mode, because combined with the fact that you know the game is getting more challenging in terms of just monsters and so on, it's brutally difficult. This is like blamped on steroids, right? Like you're on a race event for this and streamers are dropping like flies due to the fact they can't kill the monsters because they need their items. In this game, you are craving every next item you can find. Now, we were initially talking like 
this is a bit of a thing where I thought, oh, I'll put it as a private league mod, right? Like, just have it as a thing where if you want to play extreme item scarcity, you turn that on for your private league with your buddies and you have a good time playing that. Some streamers might enjoy it. You could have a good gauntlet-style event with it. Life would be good. But the thing is, when people started to hear about it in the office, they were like, okay, I need this now. Get us an alpha server. Get this set up. Also, make this release. Like, get the, you know, give this to the players. We want the ability for there to be an alternate mode alongside, like, Solar Cell Found and Hardcore. And we've been experimenting with this. And honestly, it's a lot of fun, right? This is not for everyone. This is not what Path of Exile is going to be. This is some silly vanity mode, which we, like me and Jonathan and Eric and Mark, absolutely are obsessed with. And it's a lot of fun to play. Now, you may be wondering how does this affect what went on with 3.15. So we started work on this early in 3.15. And this caused us, because this is alongside a lot of work on Path of Exile 2, the place you're at with Path of Exile 2 now that the content progression is trucking along making stuff, is we're trying to review game systems. Like, we have a discussion of what does the passive tree look like in Path of Exile 2? Are there pantheons in Path of Exile 2? right? How does ascendancy work? Is there a labyrinth? We are having these discussions at the moment, and that involves reviewing game systems. And this is why we're screwing around with Flask. This is why we're caring about trigger gems and stuff, because of the context of trying to get it right for Path of Exile 2. Now, our thinking here was, you know what? If we nerf stuff in Path of Exile 1, people are going to quit, and we're going to lose 30% of our revenue. So we should not do that. We should use hard mode, the internal name, as an experiment for doing nerfs because then the people who want to play the nerfed version of the game can try it out, and other people can just play zoomy mode and there's no problem whatsoever. So our initial plan was that we would throw a bunch of nerfs in hard mode, and it's entirely for masochists. People like me, it's a mode that people can just play and like, you know, we'll just we'll just have it be brutal and oppressive. And so the first point of call was to go and make it so that the game itself is challenging, to go through all the monsters and make them just oppressive and, and, and scary and stuff, right? So as we're doing this, we realized this is just making the game better. Like, no one's playing through this Act 1 and hating it. The Zoomy players are going to be fine with monsters actually having interesting abilities. So let's just do that in 3.15. And so we did. And so we start work on other nerfs. And for many of the nerfs, we realized these are things that will benefit the game. Let's do them in 3.15. All players will appreciate the improvements that we believed that they were going to have, such as addressing power creep and so on, solving RSI. You know, we're not going to just improve flasks in hard mode. That's weird. It's not meant to be an alpha for features, right? So the stuff we did for 3.15 was pulled out as things we thought was safe. And sure, we made judgment mistakes there. We paid the consequences. We ended up with a 30% revenue reduction that we were trying to avoid with all of this to the point where someone said to me, I thought the whole point here was not to have that happen, Chris. Why did you have that happen? And so anyway, long story short, the problem is that there's now a narrative of like Chris's vision for the game is terrible, blah, blah, blah. Fair enough. I'll take the flag for that. But um, because of that, having hard mode be kind of like a vanity thing that me and the other founders have been pushing for is a really politically bad thing to announce, right? Like if my vision is terrible, then saying this is my vision, what the game should be. Look, you've got barely any items and it's mm. really hard. And I haven't got to map successfully. You know, like that's probably not something that's politically great to announce on a live stream. So we're just throwing it out there that a thing that will probably be in 3.16 is an alternate mode that you don't have to play that's really a whole lot of fun. Um, and try it out. And you won't get very far because it's brutal and there are no items. And like we're just lobotomizing everything. Like the, the, the level of destruction to the item system is significant in that mode. No mastercrafting. Like get rid of all of that, right? Like this is a very different path of Excel experience. You can't fix your items easily. 
you know? Influenced items work entirely differently. Veiled mods, gone. There's just so many changes to the item system for such a different experience. And the intention here isn't, oh, this is a precursor to Mastercrafting going away in the core game. No, this is an alternate game for people who want an extreme challenge. Um, anyway, so yeah, that's what was going on in the background, where we've got this thing we're excited about that is kind of like... We clearly have two communities. There's the Zoomy players and there's the people who want a challenge. Because for every email I got saying you ruined the game with 315, I get an email saying more of that, please. I loved it. Make it harder. There's two sets of people here. And so we'll have a mode for the people that want extreme difficulty. And this lets the regular players know that we can channel some of our aggression into that mode and then leave the main game alone for the most part, you know, um, which means that they can still Zoom in the regular game. Um, don't, so, call yes. it, don't, don't call it hard mode though because people will think that <laughs> players that if they're good at video games they have to play that or they'll be like why aren't you I playing play, hard yeah. mode um, call yeah, it massacre or something like that so yeah. something I want to ask so that's something which really excites me as a player so don't say I, I don't want it but I could see a very big concern that with Royale and then hard mode or whatever it is you're going to be splitting development time um, on modes that don't matter because a lot of people won't want to play this so what do you say to those players and again i want it but what do you say to those guys oh i say basically i have weekends that i spend on this right like you know mark and i are just tinkering away with it um it requires very little development time like realistically what hard mode is in a nutshell is numeric changes to a lot of systems and turning things off right it's pretty easy i mean it's mostly playtesting and high fives right like you know it's it's basically it, it, its effect is making us care so much more about making various aspects of the game good, right? Because if you have this mode here where suddenly there's challenge and things matter, then every cheesy way to get items or dumb thing that's possible in the game suddenly pops up as an amazing strategy for us to be aware of. And it's even as a even as a thing that we'd make and then not release, it's still of incredible value to the company, like in terms of process, right? So if it's valuable without being released, then it's more valuable with being released. Um, I wouldn't worry too much about development time split. Uh, it's it, it's been very instructive. Okay, I'm going to need clarification on all the things that you said earlier, though, because of mm. that. Because as awesome as this mode sounds for me, you did talk a lot about the direction of the core game. And mm. you did mention, for instance, that uh, players were killing mobs off screen. The entire chat exploded with, but that's the fun of Path of Exile. They don't play Path of Exile to play Diablo or maybe whatever other ARPG you guys were looking at when you were kind of deciding on changing the systems, what would it mean for them? Would the game continue in the same exact fashion or would it possibly be speeding up as we are separating the player base with something like this? So our intention is... Yeah. Sorry, we're not our doing anything. You guys are doing it. <laughs> nice. Our intention here is not to let mainline once we take the the massacres out of mainline path of exile with a with, yes. if they like this mode the intention is not to then let the game go completely to the dogs if you know what i mean right like we don't want it so you can finish a map in four seconds or anything like that but i understand that people like yeah i mean we just want to get 10 times faster than it currently is so i understand people have fun killing monsters off screen they'll probably be able to like at the end of the day the changes we made in 315 which i emphasize are the only significant nerfs coming soon like that was that was it that was us firing our volley as it was they didn't really change a lot right like we're benchmarking players and they're mostly playing at the same speed as they were before um, we bought some room from power creep but sorry you were saying sorry i didn't i didn't mean to interrupt i thought you were finishing the statement there but um 
I would agree with you to some extent there, but disagree on the specifics of it. Um, like there are still builds that are blowing up a screen of monsters. You're, you're right. There's builds that are blowing up a screen. There's builds that are blowing up things off screen, but the, that, that is the tip of the iceberg and the vast amount of builds underneath said tip of the iceberg got hit. And some of them got hit much, much harder to the point where they are essentially unplayable in any sort of competitive setting. You know, if you want to go at a decent pace, if you have standards that are <clears throat> pardon, close to previous leagues or something like that. So from like, the, oh, go ahead, Ziggy. I was gonna say to like echo that from the softcore side of things, uh, players are gravitating to fewer builds, or they're building their characters with less and less focus on defenses and tolerating more uh, sufferance in terms of like burning map portals and dying to random one shots and things like that. As yeah. a result well, of let's, that, let's fix this. Right, the team are aware of it. This is something which we we do want to make sure that the main game is in a state that people are happy with. There are changes we're walking back from the 3.15 stuff, as we've discussed. And I think that, I think it'll be in a better state as a result of that. Like, we're not happy either with those consequences of things. Um, so what you're so saying, what you're saying with the, like, the masochist mode or the current hard mode internally, um, is that you want to take some, because I, I would understand that the office has, like, multiple voices in terms of, like, where would the direction like to go? And so you're saying that in the future, the normal game would be less prone to be hit with, oh, the game is going a little fast now. We cannot have that at all. We cannot tolerate it because you have the other mode. Or It's, it's more to make the experience for people who want that kind of masochistic mode actually exist because it's hard mm -hmm. for them to find that in current Path of Exile. Some people will convert across. Many people won't. That's entirely sure. fine. Um, we want to treat mainline Path of Exile as Path of Exile and still treat it with the respect that it deserves. It is the primary sure. game, right? Hard mode is just a silly vanity project that some players will really like. Having said that, it does mean that we do not need to make current Path of Exile be a game for two types of people, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Yes. And so that that will be important there. Um, so a question, just this might be a bit too specific. Will it be possible with Masochist mode, whatever it is, to choose to play that either in hardcore or softcore? Or would that be a hardcore only environment? It's a flag for all the leagues, and all the permutations make sense, right? A hardcore player may want to play with this hard mode slash masochist mode on because that's awesome and totally the right thing to do is to have it be incredibly difficult and then lose your character. And I mean that in a non-sarcastic way. Um, it makes sense for solo cell-found players because solo cell-found players have, you know, they want even more challenge in terms of item pressure. And it also makes sense for trade league. Because imagine a trade league where a random pair of crappy boots with two resists and some run speed is suddenly something that would be worth a pile of chaos if you had any chaos orbs. And so <laughs> it's um, a totally different experience when items have incredible value because you just don't have them and you really need some. Don't uh, you think that something like this opens an opportunity for other people to ask, okay, you made this like awesome mode perfect for the hardcore soul cell phone cocks now made a mode for the Zoomers, for the people who want to go fast, who do want to clear maps in four seconds. Do you think that people are going to begin to ask for the thing that more that is more relevant to the other side of the spectrum, the more core game? We've come to realize over time that, so here's, here's a fundamental design thing. I have felt as a designer that it is cool to have content that I cannot get to, right? This content that's too hard for me, and if I want to get to it, I have to be smarter or play better and stuff. I feel that's nice for there to be aspirational content that I can't reach, um, including like mainline stuff. 
And occasionally we'll introduce something like the Shaper or the Elder or Cyrus or whatever, and that's seen as content that the player's excited about. I haven't got there yet. What's it going to be like? How hard is it? Shit, it killed me, blah, blah, blah. You get the idea, right? And then over time, there grows a being used to it. People have killed these bosses so many times that if we now say, okay, in the current version of the game, you can't kill those bosses without a bunch of work, people are super angry. Like That's not the right direction to go in. And so essentially what we're saying here is that Mainline Path of Exile is the game where a normal-ish player, like, you know, everyone everyone who plays Path of Exile is a bit of a power gamer, but a normal-ish power gamer has the ability to play through the content and an expectation that they can actually see it. Like, we're not doing that thing where we're making bosses for the 1%, if you see what I mean. And this allows us to channel the feeling of you are never going to get to Shaper to be over in the masochist mode, essentially. Um, so you yeah, mentioned... Question. I, I got to clarify. Okay, go on, race, go on, Because <laughs> the other side of that is something that I was talking about is, for instance, what you have mentioned, like a harvest mode, for instance, where people really like harvest, old harvest, of course, uh, and they want that now. You know, you gave this thing to the hardcore players. Why not give the softcore players the harvesting? What happens when they start to ask for something like this? It's... We had other problems with harvest crafting, and... The presence of something like this masochist mode does allow us to be slightly more liberal with the main game in terms of understanding the fact that there are two audiences here and one audience wants accessibility. And we want to make sure people do have good crafting options. Like our goal isn't to... I mean, this is frustrating because we currently have a system. Imagine you've got your items ranging from like, you know, one to 10, right? In terms of quality. It's best if you're getting items around the middle and there's lots of room for better items possible, right? You're finding stuff that you're pretty happy with. It's letting you play the content, but there's always exciting upgrades. And in the masochist mode, of course, um, in the masochist mode, you're finding items way at the bad end of the scale. There's so much room for upgrades for good items you'll never see because the items are just terrible and you're happy with blue items and, you know, you get the idea. I can I can exaggerate for a while, but um, you're basically getting average 2 out of 10 quality items and happy with them. Whereas in the main game, if a 6 out of 10 quality rare drops on the ground, you didn't even care because you didn't pick up any rares in that area because you're crafting 8 or 9, you know, quality things. And so Harvest was giving you 10s with little room to improve. And we would like there to be the option for you to occasionally get lucky crafts or occasionally find lucky items on the ground that are better than what you currently have. And so we're very careful with crafting in the main game because Path of Exile is kind of like, it's itemization. It's a testament to how good the itemization of these types of games are. The Path of Exile is still working with those items the way they are. Like, the, the item system that Diablo 1 and 2 pioneered was so, so, so good that Path of Exile can be so liberal with powerful items and still people enjoy playing it. It's just that the thing that's missing there is the ability to get slightly better items with some work. And so we really need to retain that, even in the main game. Like, it shouldn't be that just hard mode is fun. It has to be that the main game has that fun of upgrades too. And so we acknowledge people want more deterministic ways of getting items. We just have to make sure that you can still get better items than that um, so that there is something to look forward to. Right, but that's not the thing. That's not the way that players play the game. People don't find items that they then equip and are an upgrade. They buy those items. Harvest enabled players to actually get the items that they wanted by themselves. They actually gave them a way to craft them. Because right now in the core game, players just don't play enough to ever farm up a reasonable amount of currency to make those items by themselves. And that's, I think, where the core of the issue lies. We absolutely still want to work on the itemization of the main game, right? Like our goal here, and the side question here is the decluttering, right? There's too many items that drop in regular Path of Exile and it's too many clicks and all that kind of stuff. 
we're not just saying, oh, masochist mode exists, so we're not going to solve that, yeah, that anymore, right? We are still working on solutions for the main game. And that includes item accessibility, right? The problem where there is no need to look at items on the ground because they're going to be bad is a big problem with main path of exile that we need to solve. Now, we've learned to do not solve this in a horribly nerfy way because then the world falls down. Um, but it is something we're working on here. And to some extent, the learnings from the masochist mode help guide what's actually a fun way of doing that. But please don't get the impression that this is just a precursor for us dumping it in the main game because it's a pretty different thing. But I, I people, get your point. People will want different styles of gameplay. Before we get too distracted... To... Oh, go on. No, go on. Yeah, well, okay. There's like I'm being pulled in many different directions here because I really <laughs> want to talk about deterministic crafting because okay, I love no, it. I'm going to interrupt you but just before same, we go into deterministic because that's going to be a massive thing. To backtrack to aspirational content because that's a same. big thing. <laughs> Oh, there we go. We, do you want to hit the aspirational content then? Yes. Okay. Oh. All right. So from the softcore juices um, side of things, aspirational content you were talking about, uh, we saw a big toning down of uh, delirium map farming and delving as aspirational content. But that seems to be at odds with what you were just saying about having that aspirational content. Why is that? Why are we kind of moving away from some of that? Okay. So by aspirational content, we're talking about really hard content that exists in Path of Exile that um, rewards you really well that you want to work towards, a reason to build the best characters in the game. So the two examples you gave there were Deep Delving and um, and the, the Fractured Delirium mod stuff. So those were both addressed for different reasons. The reason why we fixed the Deep Delving is it was basically bugged. Like the math didn't work at high depths and bad stuff was happening with the item drops and we fixed it to be how it should be, which of course is a nerf. Like we can't just say, oh, that was a bug when the, the consequences had changed. But basically it meant the delve became a lot less rewarding um, in line with what the initial plan was. Um, I have some stuff to talk about with delve. In addition for the delirium thing, we weren't intending that people would make a perfect map and then get the right sextants on it and then fracture it forever without having to put the resources in each time. Like, it, of course, it's going to be very, very desirable to be able to just copy a map and play it repeatedly without the investment of any more than actually just, you know, fracturing it. But that was basically economic abuse, right? Like, as far as we were concerned, this is like terrible that that was happening. But it did highlight that people want content like that. And so we've had a look at what aspirational stuff we can come up with. And in line with the concept that a mainline Path of Exile player has an expectation of being able to kill all the new bosses and stuff, the aspirational content will probably come in the form of like advanced versions of various things that are possible. And so this is like the earliest possible list that's been reviewed by very few people internally, but this is the type of stuff we are discussing here. Like this is not a patch notes or a promise. It's the stuff that we're going to investigate. So what have we got? We've got dropping more delirium orbs, adding five to 10 waves to the end of the simulacrum making five orb delirium encounters more rewarding and four and three and two and one orb ones as well. Um, we're discussing making depth, uh, the deep delving quite different so that um, it's incredibly more rewarding shallower around depth 1500 or so, but it's far more difficult than it currently is. Like basically throwing away the concept of the current progression of delve and basically saying that it gets insanely difficult at 1,000 to 1,500, but really rewarding. And now that means people won't be breaking the same depth records they did in the past, but it also means you don't need to like delve down to 6,000 or something like that to actually get good rewards. Um, in addition, we're going to make it so that if you get to tier 16 maps and then you don't delve, the catch-up mechanic puts you at a relatively deep depth, deep depth, so you don't need to just play through hundreds and hundreds of really early tiers. Um, we're, considering, we're considering adding the Uber domain of Timeless Conflict. We haven't worked out what that means, but basically taking Legion and saying, what is the Uber version of that? 
um, uber blighted maps, for example, basically going through old leagues that are working well and saying, this is content, but the top characters can clear it. What if they couldn't? And then make a version of that that's incredibly difficult and incredibly reward rewarding. Um, we may add ultimatum back to the core game and then potentially allow for more than 10 waves where it just ramps up and up and up in a crazy way. Um, there's more to this as well because we are looking at general monster balance throughout the game. Um, we're looking at how like rare monsters are handled in terms of the mods on them. There's a bunch of stuff that can be discussed there. We're discussing um, maybe a new tier of breach stones beyond pure that are just incredibly difficult but incredibly rewarding. And so these are things which aren't actually that bad, right? Like in order to make this, aside from the fact of the question of what are the rewards, like do we have to make new uniques or new mod tiers or whatever, um, the actual content itself is pretty straightforward. You just you know, add one somewhere and then put some really hard monsters in it. And so that's stuff that we can potentially slot in. And the context here is that um, 317 is our next big endgame redo, right? Like that's the, the you know league at the end of the year, probably January at this stage, I would imagine. And that's the one that's got you know the equivalent of adding the Maven or whatever we're doing next. Um, so there's a bunch potentially to talk about in the future with the endgame. But these types of aspirational endgames we can add at any stage. There's no reason why a few of these can't be introduced in 316 potentially so that the softcore Zuma crowd have a lot of things to work towards. Because I firmly believe that in order for items to even be attractive to get, you need content that you can't do, which is kind of the whole point of the masochist mode, where we just have to make sure there's some equivalently challenging content in the main game. My um, my one concern going into adding like super duper uber modes to various different bits of content, as you said, it's, you know, a preliminary list, so I doubt maybe even anything specifically there gets added, but, you know, any sort of super duper content like that, um, just after a swath of nerfs that made a lot of different archetypes, playstyles, and specific skills even less viable just in like straight ALK and GO T16 maps, is going to constrict the top end of the softcore trade meta to the point where it's, you know, as, as constricted as perhaps we've ever seen it, where there's this handful of builds that can reliably do the T20, the super duper uber whatever, and most of the other ones can't, so most players will gravitate towards only those if there isn't, you know, enough of a rising tide to lift some of the underperforming skills and archetypes right now. Yeah, you're completely right. What do the players want? Because they want build diversity, and a way of getting that is to have the in-game content not too difficult. And that way, you know, because obviously builds aren't going to be exactly perfect. People are going to, there's so much evolutionary pressure to work out the best builds, to have improvements on it. So something's going to be better than the others. So either there is content for them to play, in which case you get stratification like this, or there isn't, in which case there's lots of viable builds, but people are bored and have no aspirational content. Um, I kind of prefer the one with more content, to be honest, you know? Um, yeah. So but this is a question, because all this sounds really positive, but this is something that I hear a lot of, is, well, Chris is just going to come on, he's going to appease a bunch of people, but not actually implement the stuff. This idea of promises that aren't delivered upon, what would you say to those people? I regret any times in the past that we have promised something and not delivered upon it, of course. I mean, there are bits and pieces like talking about asynchronous trade in the past and then explicitly deciding, actually, we don't want to do that. And we can say we're not going to do that. A lot of times when people also say asynchronous trade when, if you see what I mean. So it is possible for us to change our mind. But in this case, we're very excited about this content here. Like we don't see drawbacks. I mean, you know, Octavian raised some good points about that and we do have to be careful about the stratification there. But I do expect that, especially given the amount of internal work going into it recently, that we're going to see some of the stuff come I mean, there may be specific things. The Delve one might be hard and might come, you know, leagues later or never potentially, but the team are very excited about this because remember, they play the game as well, right? Like when they're hearing the feedback, they're all agreeing, you know? 
There's questions on, we'll ask someone, have you played this league? Oh, you quit in the second week. Why did you quit? What are your reasons? Okay, we want you to play the next one further. What do we have to do to achieve that? Coming from developers as well as actual players. Okay, we talked about, oh, sorry, you froze. Oh, no, there it works. Because you Octavian asked about build specifically. What I want to ask about is the player accessibility. Because are you planning for this to only be accessible to the top 1% juicers? Or will this be something for the average players as well? Or do you maybe mean for this to be accessible to the people who really, really play the game? And then that wealth essentially ends up trickling down by making items for lower level players more accessible in general. So one thing we learned back in the old days before we had the map system, we had the Maelstrom of Chaos. And the Maelstrom of Chaos was a set of things that occurred after Path of Exile's fourth difficulty. Uh, a set of areas, there were 20 of them in sequence that you just get to enter. And the problem we found then, this is like back in 2011 or something like that, the problem we had was players would watch streamers who went to the 20th area of the Maelstrom of Chaos, which is brutal, and the streamers would do okay in there, and the players would say, I want to do this. And they would take their character that wasn't quite as good as the streamer's character, maybe it would be appropriate to be playing the third or fourth area of the Maelstrom, and they'd run all the way through them to get to the 20th one where the good items were, and then repeatedly die and complain that it was too hard. And so the whole reason why the map system exists is because we had a question of, should there be an economic cost to run hard content? To run a tier 16 requires sacrificing something of value. To run a tier 16 with good drops requires putting a bunch of currency and stuff into it, like there's a cost to the content. Um, like how doing a simulacrum requires you putting together the simulacrum. So in terms of accessibility, we implicitly have to make it so the most rewarding, most difficult content is also somewhat hard to access. And that does mean that if a random player does want to suddenly play the top, top, top tier content, not only do they have to know they're capable of it, but also find a way of affording it, as it were. We think that's quite important. Having said that, we don't want accessibility to be a problem. I want it to be as accessible as possible, bearing in mind that if it's too accessible, it causes this. And we're even seeing this with logbooks. Like, There's this stuff to do with expedition where the risk and reward is not an economic proposition. You've got these remnants that are in the expeditions and you can tag as many as you want. And so we're seeing players, like these remnants are designed to make it very hard. They provide blanket immunity and stuff, right? Like. It's terribly difficult to tag remnants and people are tagging all of them and then complaining it's too hard because of signaling and costing and so on. If we made it cost you like an ALK per remnant you tag or whatever, you know, or have to pay currency or something, people would actually think about it before they engage in it. And so that's a bit of a design problem where we made the risk and reward stuff a bit too easy to trigger the incredibly hard scenarios. Like as far as we're concerned, we'll read some player feedback where the player's complaining it's too hard. And we're like, they have jammed that lever to 11 and then died to it. You know, it's bad signaling on our part, allowing them to make it so difficult without understanding. Um, the same thing happens with like map mods where they kind of all can go when you're meant to kind of read the map mods and go, this one isn't appropriate for my character. I'm going to chaos it again or something like that. Um, a lot of that kind of also goes into the reward structure of leagues as well. Like, for, I think Exhibition is a very good example. You've got people saying no logbooks, but then they're setting up their stuff incorrectly. But it kind of also goes, a big complaint I see is when you get a new league and the main draw of the league is the league uniques. And some leagues mm. you're like, oh, brilliant. And then list league, for example, a lot of people haven't felt very interested in the uniques. And then when there isn't that drive of, oh, we've got this unique to go for, it boils down purely to, does it give me currency? Um, yeah, that's a good thing you bring that up because for the next league, I gave them a mandate of the the uniques are going to be good. We will only release good uniques. It is a failure if we announce them on stream and people are like, Chazzy wants your unique. Um, you know, it's, it's, I mean, obviously they're going to say that now anyway, but 
we're only releasing some good, powerful uniques. We want like it, it ties in with the concept of chase items, right? We want uniques that people are damn excited to find. Um, and I think we've released a few too many remedial or niche ones recently. Um, and I completely agree. If the league doesn't have compelling uniques, then it's just a question of how much currency does it give me, and how much currency. Like we can't win that question. If it doesn't give enough currency, we lose all our players and hence lose millions of dollars. And if it gives too much currency, we set ourselves up for later, where ultimatums handing out multiple chaos per area on average. Okay, it again boils down to accessibility. I have to ask this because I don't care how good Hate Forge is. I don't have it. I'm not gonna have it if I play a lot even it's probably not going to happen do you plan on making these things something that people for instance play is very strong for a league and then later on gets nerfed i would rather that we didn't nerf uniques i'd rather they came out in a good form and stayed in the good form i think that's a lot better um you know we haven't nerfed headhunter i'm protecting that one it's not a lot of people not that people are crazy and trying to nerf it but i want there to be more exciting things like that um I think that Hateforge had some unintended interactions that had to be fixed, and that was unfortunate. But you mentioned um, that you don't have a Hateforge and you want one. Like, surely the chase item should be hard to get, right? Surely there should be these pinnacle things that you're possibly never going to see. I mean, not just in the masochist mode where all the uniques are like that, but in the main game, like, it's good for there to be something that you might not encounter for a league or two personally, right? I have a Hateforge. I'm speaking theoretically. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, okay. Go on. I'm sorry. Okay. So I go back to like the super duper mode, and it actually ties into everything we've been talking about here as well. So in PoE, a lot of things get kind of like compared apples to apples. And I think one of the reasons why Delirium uh, ended up being so popular is because it was uh, probably the best apples to apples comparison to anything. Uh, mm. It's especially in terms of raw currency. I think what you've done with a lot of league mechanics is you've showered us with all the other league mechanics. So if you yes. so my wish or my, my plea is if you're adding these super duper modes, don't add them with the only intent of they shower you with more currency. Make their rewards unique. One mm. of the reasons why people would run pure um, like pure breaches is because you had the guarantee of certain uniques, specific like the, the amulets and such, right? And you got the upside of, say, XP, but it wasn't purely just a flood of currency. By adding things at the end game, at the very top, where you are essentially creating 100 times, maybe even 1,000 times the amount of drops per zone, you're also diluting what some of the like lower tiers, they say you're yellow mapping, and you're just ga gaining a normal currency. Well, when they're picking up, like say, exalts and, and like en masse, like what is, they, they're essentially just diluting that cost of that item from you know the floor. And so when people talk about the trickle down, what about the trickle up? Because I think it's, it's equally important to have trickle up as it is to have trickle down on some of the more unique and cool items from the top. Yeah, you're completely right. We do not want to dilute the experience elsewhere. And to some extent, having it so that the rewards are marginally better, but you have a chance of finding some really cool stuff is a much better way of doing it. Uh, it's worth noting from a deliverable timeline point of view, in order to come up with unique rewards for all of these, that's quite a lot more work, right? Like to have compelling items means coming up with new interesting stuff. And to some extent, that is harder than actually going and making, you know, pure plus plus breach stones or whatever. So um, I don't know what the team is intending for the rewards there, but I'd be very surprised if it was just flood the player with currency. You mentioned um, the importance of chase items. Why do you feel like there's an increasing amount of feeling amongst the community that there are fewer and fewer chase items that people are excited about? 
we I'm hesitant to say this because the answer is going to be they're all out of touch with their own game. But when we get all the designers in the room and say, what do people mean about no chase items? Everyone looks around blankly and say, they what now? Because as far as we're concerned, there are just the same number of chase items that existed before. In fact, in the core drop pool, we've dumped in hundreds of league-specific unique ones that were compelling that can now drop from anything. And I suspect it's a semantics difference, right? Like when Zizarin talks about it, for example, he talks about deterministic-ish drops from bosses where he wants the idea of farming a specific boss to try to find a unique. Whereas when I think of a chase item, I think of the reason I am playing this game and killing regular monsters is he might drop a mirror or might drop a headhunter. Um, which is, you know, a term maybe I get from magic cards where a chase rare is something that I want to open a lot of booster packs to try to find. We definitely want there to be these chase items, right? Like everything we are doing is trying to have the drop pool be compelling. I, The words core drop pool come out of my mouth twice a day at work in terms of we're going to put more good stuff in it. You know, we want more interesting currency items to exist in the game. We want more Headhunter-esque uniques. We turn on Reliquary Crease occasionally in the core drop pool and we definitely want it so that there's this excitement that any monster could drop something incredibly valuable. If we're approaching the wrong thing here, and by chase items players want a different thing, then please let us know. Um, I should add, though, that the new uniques we're working on are meant to be very exciting ones. And so I would like it if there are more headhunters in the game, a lot more things that are just cool and powerful that are kind of things to work towards. Why um, were more uniques moved from specific mechanics or bosses? I don't necessarily mean like previous league stuff that was disabled in the game, because I think that was good to add that to the core game, like headhunter and stuff but like things that were specific drop uniques or from very specific mechanics and now just seemingly without any communication added to the core game, like um, Shape of Guardian uniques, I think, were added to the core game randomly. I was discussing this with a team yesterday and the people I were talking to were not the people who moved those uniques around, so I didn't get a clear answer on it. And I indicated it would be good for us to have a clear answer before the podcast, but we never actually got that sorted out. So that's a thing that has confused a few people and may need to be fixed potentially. The intention here was that we would leave uniques on specific bosses so they still have stuff in their drop pool and we just take all, like Headhunter wasn't dropped by a specific boss. It was just attainable yeah. by a certain league mechanics, you know, it, as rewards in those leagues. And so that was the kind of thing that was meant to be moved. Maybe there was a bit of an overreach with taking some stuff or maybe there was a good plan behind it, but I don't know which of those two it was. Well, well, the thing is, those other... items aren't valuable. So, like, what is the problem with bosses dropping good uniques? Because you said that they could, but they don't. And then the mm -hmm. uniques were moved to the core pool, not because, uh, like, it didn't matter. It's just that they weren't valuable in most cases. So it didn't even, like, change up that many things in that regard. Wouldn't it be better that bosses just drop good stuff? <laughs> well, if the what answer is... Like, if the answer is make better uniques, we're trying, right? Like, it's it's implicitly a power creep thing, though, right? Like, is a Shav special these days? It's not worth that much in regular in re, in the regular league, right? Are we excited about Shav drops anymore? The item store does what it did in the past. I um, would be excited if it dropped from a boss. Sorry. But what's the reason you want it to drop from a boss? Is that because it's a deterministic crafting, a deterministic um, farming thing where you want to, like... I want a Shavs, therefore I'm going to kill this boss 50 times to get it. Is that the I think kind in of order to chase something, you have to be able to know where it is to um, an extent. Yeah. Add to that as well, like the game has sort of been moving away from the feeling of, you know, this this pack of monsters that I kill could drop a mirror or could drop an exalt or whatever, as more and more league mechanics and more and more systems in the game spe specifically shunt their rewards into little boxes. 
Um, so like most of the loot that a Path of Exile character is going to be obtaining in the endgame now, be it from Heist or Blight or Legion or whatever, is going to come from that dude that's got a Chaos Orb icon over his head or the box yeah. that has a Fragment icon on it. So you're not really... I mean, personally, I can only speak for myself here, but personally, I'm not really all that excited about what monsters are going to drop. I'm not thinking about that. That's not in the back of my mind. I'm looking at the icons on the minimap and going after those. Our direction is more to undo that than to embrace it, I suspect. We want to go back to the core drop pool mattering more and have less boxes with symbols on them. I think the boxes with symbols thing is a really easy thing to throw in leaks because it's compelling and communicates it clearly, but it comes at a cost. And I think we're paying that cost now in terms of how we've trained the players. And so this isn't, I'm not discussing a nerf here, I'm just saying from a design direction, I'd rather it be that more monsters are rewarding. Um, it's This is exactly why the masochist slash hardcore mode stuff is... Um, uh, Mesclis's hard mode stuff is is really fascinating to us because in that mode, you just drop the normal drop pool for basically everything, and it's exciting because I might get a rare from it. Like merely adding some rarity implicitly to an encounter um, can make it exciting. There's no need to do fancy drops because players are so staffed on items they appreciate every rare they can get. You know, I mean, giving them a ring is good in that mode. So um, it's kind of teaching us that having a good core drop pool and Fixing a lot of Path of Exile's itemization problems will mean we don't have to say, look, it's a currency box, look, it's a fragment box, and so on. Um, on that point of the chase, one just thing, which I don't know what you'll really say in regards to it, there's often an element, especially when div cards are shuffled around without being announced, that it kind of just feels like the player base is getting messed around. There's been a few, like mm. the Imperial Legacy card, and there will be no mention that this very core, crucial thing that people need for their build has been moved. And you don't realize until you spent a week farming a map and then someone's like, oh, it doesn't drop there anymore. Yeah, that is a good point. Um, normally we don't talk about item drop rates for various historical reasons, but we probably should talk about item drop locations. And I believe the team try to patch out this kind of stuff, or at least they should be. So I'll check into that to make sure that there's no problem. It's just specifically uh, but... when they're moved from one location to another and no one's told. That was my point. Yeah. To harp on Chase Uniques a bit more, one thing I think wasn't mentioned here was that we're, we've seen a lot of nerfs over time to a lot of the exciting Chase drops, that especially dropping from bosses like Shaper's Swords and various other things. Um, what What's the... I know, like, on a case-by-case -case basis, many times the intent has been, like, this is outclassing all rares. I think that's, like, less the case now, and now, in many cases, they don't even reach minimum viability standards for a lot of players, especially in softcore. Maybe they need a buff pass. Maybe. Um, um, Maybe. So we don't spend too long lingering on this because we've still got a lot we want to talk about. Uh, one of the big complaints about the current state of the game is the sense of unnecessary grind in the Atlas and Maven system. Um, mm. Could you talk about that, please? Yeah. Um, the team agree, and we have some changes. Now, I want to preface this by saying that 317 is to fix this. 317, big endgame expansion. Who knows? We don't know. We haven't talked about that yet. But the point is, we'll look at this feedback and we'll work out a good endgame system and that's what 317 will be. But people are angry now. They feel that now that there is too much grind before they're at farming stage, basically, in the Atlas. And so we have some changes for 316 that we're looking at. Again, these are preliminary. Okay. Oh, dear. I'm... Probably should have checked with more people before just reading the stuff out of our internal tools, but we'll pay the consequences. Okay, so our current plan is the following. We reduce the Atlas to four regions rather than eight, and this means you have to acquire far less watchstones, and the progress to farming Cyrus will be far, far shorter. 
we're reducing the atlas to have 100 maps rather than 160. So that means your atlas completion will only require 100 maps. Each one's worth 1%. And we're going to shuffle those. So every time we shuffle the locations of the maps, we also cycle some maps in and out like we do with Zana mod rotations. Um, all the bonuses from all of these will be increased to compensate. For example, um, you get plus one awakening level per two watchstones instead of from four. And the map completion bonuses will be changed to provide the same total benefit just over fewer maps. And so this takes nothing away apart from potentially some tile sets in a given league. And it means you'll be a farm status for your atlas after killing 16 conquerors instead of 32. And this will hopefully mean that the grind to get to that point is significantly reduced without cutting the journey out. And so that's what we're looking at for 316 to see what would happen if we just made that grind a lot shorter so you're at farming stage earlier. Then I think everyone likes that. <laughs> yeah, for 317 we're going to continue to make awesome stuff that we haven't even thought of yet so i don't i can't even spoil that. <laughs> um just on the point though of the four regions so obviously that's going to impact how atlas passives work um could you just briefly explain what's happening there with like stuff being moved around and yeah we don't know an exact plan yet but we are aware of the fact that it will change the passives and we'll have to make sure to compensate for it the goal is not to this isn't meant to be enough nothing's meant to be enough here right apart from that fortify thing <laughs> i mean i mean just just bigger trees seems i don't know there's a bit of redundancy at the moment where certain things are repeated across multiple trees. It may just be that there are fewer trees and more impactful or whatever. Um, it's, yeah, it's it's up in the air still. This is, this is quite hot off the presses. And that's one of the reasons why, like, that's one of the reasons why we've been quietly working on this stuff rather than addressing the fire that's been going on the last few weeks is it takes some time to come up with these plans. And we could say words of like, don't worry, we'll address it, but then there's nothing to back that up. Whereas here, we're actually able to give some indication of the direction we're going and hopefully reassure people that we are on their side and trying very hard to make the best game that they want. Um, I want when... to be very aware of your time, so I'm going to change the thing real quick. Um, Ziggy, I, I, you... I do have yeah, oh, some time. I was just yeah. thinking, when it comes to player retention, a lot of people describe these systems as purposely boring, shitty, and long due to the fact that, yeah, I mean, they, they ended up kind of taking forever. And they said that you would only do things like that because you want the player retention. Do you think that that's like a valid criticism now that you're changing it? I think that we try very hard to make things fun. It's like, imagine you're writing a novel if you double the length of the novel, does it mean that people spend more time reading your books? Well, probably not if you just added crap, if you know what I mean. Like now they quit halfway through because it got boring. And so um, we do want things to be short and sweet and fun as much as possible. And if it gets boring, it's because we screwed up. It's not some kind of badly thought out plan to addict people to the game with bad content. <laughs> you already have their souls, so they're in maps. Exactly. Now we just need to do a good job servicing that. Um, okay, on that tone, like before we go to no, just before we go to Ziggy's clicking question, which is an important question. Okay. Um, oh, since we talk about player retention, <laughs> and that obviously includes like player count and stuff, what is the realistic impact when you see such a massive drop off like you've seen with this league? When we released Delve, we had a massive drop of players, and we didn't understand why, and we still don't. It was just down forty percent for no reason. There's hypotheses like, you know. Like school holidays ended in America, which is literally the best running hypothesis we have at the time. We didn't know why Delve was damn good. We didn't have any major nerfs in that one. Um, and this one was down, um, probably for good reason, right? Like, you know, people were certainly scared by the nerfs. And I want to bring up a couple of points. So the first one was Ultimatum didn't do a great job of retaining players. And so we were already down a lot of our usual player base by the end of Ultimatum, which is a thing that which sucked. And that was partly because the content wasn't that great. And so 
going into the live stream, we were down quite a lot of players as well. Our teaser that we did was not hypey. It was just quite poor. And the reason why is Expedition was really hard to communicate. And we thought we'd emphasize more, um, you know, be vague about Expedition and put more emphasis on the skills because they were exciting. And we kind of fell flat in terms of that teaser. And so going into the live stream, we just had less viewers than we normally would do. And then we spent 50% of the time in the live stream justifying the nerfs. Now, I feel the communication is worthwhile and while we can always improve it, we've kind of learned in the past to give time to explain everything rather than to drop them in the patch notes. Like we felt because of nerfs, we should front load them into the live stream to set expectations, which was great, but did mean that we only spent 50% of our time hyping players and 50% of the time kind of saying, don't be too scared by this stuff. And so going into the league, it just wasn't exciting. I would rather spend 100% of the time in the live stream going, look at this crazy stuff which I think I've just undermined a bit by dropping a bunch of crazy stuff today, or at least, you know, some future content. But we'll repeat it in the live stream with some more new stuff, of course. And so a lot of mistakes were made there, and that causes the launch to just not have as many players. You know, there's people weren't quite as hyped as they normally would be. Now, I believe, especially in light of us trying to address some of the feedback here, that we're probably going to be fine in the future. Um, but it's always something to be careful of. We don't want to, for the sake of the greater good, accidentally lose too much of our player base now. Now, financially, the company will be fine, right? Like we're investing a lot of our resources into POE2. And while we, of course, want Path of Exile 1 to continue to go well in the meantime, because it's what we pay the bills with, there's enough of a margin that it's okay if we have a down league. A few in a row starts to be bad, then we have to lose POE2 developers and everything falls to pieces. But we're nowhere near there, and I don't think that's going to be a problem. Um, as... Sounds like a challenge for Reddit. Sorry. Oh, no, okay. please. Um, <laughs> as the follow-up to that before He's we get into it. the splinter issue... So when it comes to the finance of it, and apologies for this, um, but where does the money actually go in regards to Tencent development and marketing? Exactly where it did in the past. So the way that companies work is you have shareholders. Now, I founded the company with Jonathan and Eric, so we were the shareholders. And so any money that was left over that we chose to distribute and not keep in the company would go to us. So at the end of the year, we would look at how much money the company had and go, sweet, these are our expansion plans, or maybe we've got some extra money, which we'll have you know, as a reward for making the company and stuff. And so companies declare dividends and those go to the shareholders. What happened with the Tencent acquisition is they became shareholders. They took some of my shares and some of Jonathan's and some of Eric's, and we still have some shares and they have a lot of the shares. And we got some money personally in return for that, which was nice. But as you can see, we're still coming to work at six o'clock in the morning, you know, to do this. Um, so the, the point is, though, that when we declare a dividend, they get their share of that dividend. But we still can't declare big dividends because we have to put all our money into our development and so on. And Path of Exile 2 is only getting more expensive. And so it's exactly the same situation as before, except instead of me personally getting extra money with each dividend, I've already been given extra money in the past, and now it's going to the people that gave me that extra money before. So it's a big circle. And as I'm sure you have seen by now, Tencent does not have any desire to exert any kind of control over the direction of the game, right? There has not been a single phone call going, hey, what happened with 3.15, right? Like, that's on me to work out. It's essentially still my company as far as the authority of running it goes. And while I'm trying to be a good custodian of the game that they own, you know, they let me do that, right? Like it's exactly the same as if it hadn't occurred from that point of view. Now, it's also worth noting on this point that obviously as a New Zealand company of a certain size, we have to publish our financial statements online, which Reddit loves to read through. One thing to bear in mind with these financial statements is that it is very hard to make any kind of sense of modern IFRS financial statements. And I'll give you some examples for the accounting nerds out there. So number one is the numbers in their own New Zealand dollars. These are worthless, crappy moon money dollars compared to the American <laughs> dollars that may be worth dealing with, right? Do the currency conversion and be sad. 
Secondly, these are gross numbers. So that includes all of the payment provider fees. For example, if you release a game on Xbox and you sell it, you release a micro for 50 bucks or something, and they take 30%, the number that's included in our financials is the full value. In fact, it includes sales tax and so on, right? So you get a situation where a user pays $100, they pay VAT of 22. And I should note, we do not add VAT onto our costs. We just absorb it ourselves, right? So we haven't done a thing where we increase the cost for German users by 20% compared to Americans. We just pay that. And so anyway, the first 20% goes to VAT in Europe or whatever, and then the platform takes its cut of like 30% or whatever the numbers are based on the platform and so on and so on. So the big number is reported on our accounts in New Zealand moon money dollars, and we actually only get a smaller slice of that in real American dollars. The next thing to bear in mind is um, revenue spreading. And so when with modern accounting, when someone buys a microtransaction, you can't just say, sweet, we made that money today. You have to spread the revenue over the period of time that they actually use the micro. And so, for example, if our sales went to zero today, if no one ever bought another micro in the game, we'd still be returning tens of millions of dollars of revenue next year because of the fact that people are still using the micros and stuff that they've bought from the past. Then we have expense spreading, where you both spread expenses over the useful life of the thing, but also have to capitalize future development. And the reason why I'm mentioning this one is all the money we're spending on Path of Exile 2 is becoming a Path of Exile 2 asset. And because it's this asset that we cannot expense yet, it is not expensed against our profit. And that means you get a situation where your profit looks large because you haven't expensed this asset against it yet. And as that project grows into the tens of millions of dollars, that's tens of millions of money we have paid out that we do not have as profit, but is listed as profit in the books until eventually we expense it later. Anyway, the end result of all of this is if you don't have an accounting degree, please do not comment on our accounts, right? Like it's, I can't understand them. No one understands them. Um, we use entirely different stuff for our internal financial metrics. And so it's really sad to see people who don't know what they're talking about, like going through our accounts, making assumptions about how much money we do or don't have. Every sale is precious to us. We use that money to hire staff to do what we can, right? Like, you know, we, it, it is very important. Like, it is very important for us to keep the business going as a business because if we do not have income, we cannot make the game anymore. Um, Ziggy splinters. All right. Yeah. 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 Okay. Sorry. About that, <laughs> no, that, that was good. I think that was really important to some people. So that yeah. says get rolled Reddit. Okay. <laughs> 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 okay. All right. <sighs> okay. It's time again to talk about clicking. Uh, so I feel like the manifesto explanation that you put out about artifacts for this league kind of missed the mark. I agreed with a lot of what you said about how, why why it's important to have 20 different ones for various different reasons, like opportunity cost, game design stuff. That all made a lot of sense, but not with the final conclusions that said that A, they needed to be picked up, and B, that they needed to be tradable. So I feel like, for the first part of that, um, I feel like the weight and satisfaction comes from the engaging with the NPCs, the actual rewards we get, and not from the artifacts themselves. So why do you feel like they still need to be picked up then? Okay, so the point you raise here about the tradability is actually fascinating. Um, I'd argued in that manifesto that it, the reason why we wanted to have different artifacts per NPC type is so that you felt you had to engage with all of them. But of course, because they're tradable, you can trade them away. So you really don't have to engage with all of them. If we made them non-tradable and they automatically accumulated as a number like Azerite, which I should emphasize is slightly different than auto picking up an item that needed to be stashed, then that probably would have worked as a system. We generally prefer to have stuff be tradable because we think it's better if there's an economy, right? Like this is a game about items. It's cool for you to find something and go, I don't want to gamble. I'm going to give it to someone else in 
exchange for an itemized temple of Atzuadl so I can go do some incursion stuff or whatever. We like the ability to pick and choose what content you're playing and to be able to trade this stuff between players. Now, the way that we ended up with the Splinters here was kind of unfortunate. Like, it, it's just kind of small mistakes with good intentions compounded on top of each other until we get to the point where we actually reduce the drop rate of Splinters in development a lot. So you find them very infrequently and in big stacks in this league. And the feedback unanimously from our testing team was, I opened a chest and I got literally nothing. Then I opened another chest and I got nothing. These are reward chests. Where are my rewards? And we're like, but when you get splinters, you get like six chests worth. There's a whole lot less clicks. And they go, so you made it boring and I saved like three clicks. Great, you know? And we kind of had this situation where we, I think the thing I said to someone is, if we drop nothing, you're angry we dropped nothing. And if we drop something, you're angry we dropped something because you have to click on it. Now, you can, we... I think, have no chests to begin with as one part of that. Um, yeah, you so like you kill the artifact monsters and then you can still achieve much the same result without clicking by having like a little plus five artifacts. Yeah. We are careful about auto pickup because it's a very slippery slope that leads to people wanting vacuuming of wisdom scrolls and that kind of stuff. We don't like where we ended up with this league and we're honestly just willing to kind of like review our splinter policy, right? Like as far as I'm concerned, we're not going to put splinters in future leagues unless they're in for a good purpose and they're valuable. Like no one's complaining about expensive breach splinters, the ones that the, the good ones, like the Chayola ones or whatever, because they are worth a lot when you pick them up. And we kind of want a minimum threshold for what splinters are worth if we're even doing them in the future. We don't want to rule it out entirely, but they're not going to be spammy ones where you have to accumulate hundreds and hundreds and hundreds to do something. We'll just come up with better systems, whether that's like Azerite or other ways of tracking stuff, we will not re rely on using splinters for that. And this lets us go through and review past leagues, right? Like it will take some time, but we do want to make sure that it's improved. Now, there's a bunch of small changes. If I do the whole like reading stuff from the future thing, which I'm probably going to get in trouble for. Um, so the first thing is um, there's a plan to merge drops that can be merged together. Harbinger map stuff, Legion splinters, Breach splinters can in code be merged at the point that they are generated, right? That's pretty straightforward. The guys are going to do that. The second thing is, whenever a loot spiral occurs, like from incursion or, um, you know, ultimatum or whatever, for it to automatically go through the spiral, like when it's sitting in memory ready to be dropped, and to automatically merge all the currency together into stacks as appropriate. So this means that if it were to drop a pile of different splinters, they're automatically merged. Um, we will have to look into what happens in a party, of course, to make sure that if it doesn't just scoop them all up into one pile, that a single guy can go and ninja. Potentially multiple people equals multiple stacks. We'll look into that. But um, there's a couple of other issues. So one thing we're discussing, and this is relatively hypothetical at this stage, but is worth bringing up, is this concept of having... What's the best way of describing this? Um, it's a bit specific to how our game works, but having bands for the appropriate sizes of currency item to drop. So for example, currently Wisdom Skulls Wisdom scrolls drop frequently, and in maps, it's a bit of a waste of time to pick up wisdom scrolls. You might have in a given large encounter, there are 10 wisdom scrolls on the ground, and you're not really going to want to click 10 times to get those. And so our hypothesis here is to have it that at certain bands, the average sizes of the wisdom scroll and other small currency stacks get larger, and the relative occurrence of them gets less common. So you might find that you're finding wisdom scrolls one-tenth of the current amount, but you're finding them in stacks that average 10, maybe 6 to 14 or something like that. And so, therefore, it's worth a click to pick up, like, 14 Wisdom Scrolls in one go. And the same may mean that when, like, 
augments drop, you're finding five, you're not finding one. You're just not getting a small smattering of augments all over the screen, you're getting them less frequently. It could mean, for example, that in a breach, instead of getting several splinters, um, you just get a larger stack of like 15 splinters every few breaches. It's the same amount of currency, it just involves a lot less random clicking and to some extent lets you actually make it worthwhile to pick up certain things. Maybe chance orbs drop averaging two per stack just to you know, gradually reduce the number of clicks of currency there. So we're looking into this as it's not vacuuming, it's not, um, you know, it's not coalescing necessarily, it's just changing the drop rates of the currency stacks and the amount, so there's a minimum worthwhile threshold for something to be worth a click. As a concession between what you, what I think you want and what I think I want, that doesn't sound so bad, but I think there's might be some other things that will need work in there as well, like pick up range as well. Like if we are still going to be picking up stuff, they're in bigger stacks, we're doing it a lot less, that's a very good start. But I think there's still other things that need addressing, like how far your character has to run around, how the loot labels progress and pick up range is something that gets mentioned a lot because that was decided very early on and I don't think it's ever been changed as far as I know. We're very happy with the pickup range stuff, to be completely honest. There are other major problems that I think will, like resolving the other major problems, people will not be complaining about pickup range when it's sorted out. Like, yeah, the loot label stuff is confusing, but part of that is the sheer amount of loot. Like, try playing it in hard mode and you'll see how easy it is when there's barely anything on the screen. But um, we have, as you've as we've discussed in the past, decluttering plans for Mainline Path of Exile. And while those won't, you know, gut the item system to the extent that I was talking about for hard mode, it will certainly mean that you don't have like this incredible sea of items that are completely worthless. You know, like the amount of white items dropping is somewhat unbelievable right now. And to some extent, that stuff is not making it any easier to pick things up. Um, as a side note, by the way, one thing we're discussing is having an option to don't render, to not render filtered items. Like the intention is that if items are filtered by your filter so you don't want to see them, then why are we rendering them um, and their shadows and all of that kind of stuff? Like if you've got a couple of hundred items on the ground that you don't care about and you've chosen not to care about with your filter, maybe they essentially shouldn't exist for your client from a performance point of view. So that's something we're also experimenting with. To explain a little bit more about the pickup range thing, it it's a bit like if Melee had like one-tenth of the attack range, weapon range that it has now, and how frustrating that can feel to play. Um, well, I think that's kind of the problem. Our intention is basically that you pick the item up when you're at the item, and we, this is a result of us trying different values in the past, and we just haven't encountered anything that makes us... Like, it's obviously a thing where, from a player's point of view, this could only be... It's only better for it to be high. Like, if we made it so the pickup range is the entire screen, you click and you get the item, there's going to be pressure to increase it. That doesn't mean where we're at now is necessarily the right value. We just have to be very careful, because everything we hear from players is going to be, make it bigger, you know? Um... I would like to solve the other problems before we look at the range stuff. The range stuff also causes problems with pathfinding if we get it wrong. Like, it's a very, very careful mm -hmm. thing we have to not ruin when we tweak it. Isn't and we have like, experience with that from console. I think Nugi has something. Go ahead. Right. So this is in, in regards to the splinters. So I recognize that you want to, like, consolidate them and all that, but you also mentioned it yourself. Uh, when, you, when you click something and there's, like, an expectation of, like, things dropping out, and sometimes it doesn't, and then a big stack, but it's just a number. That's not very exciting. So a proposition here, like let's assume like you go to a Piranha's pack, you kill the pack, you've already decided, I want to kill off the pack, even though it's generally not worth my time. I click the box, there's an expectation because I already went in and decided to do it, that a bunch of coins drop out. At that point, you've already invested your time. Why is it that you then need to uh, add any kind of tedium or like extra work at the end? Shouldn't that be the reward? And secondly... Well if something drops out, say, unique, now that is the, the thing that is unexpected, right? So when you go to an asteroid node, you expect the asteroid to drop out. 
you zoom it up. So anytime there's like a splinter, you engage with the encounter because you expect it. So therefore, mm. you should not expect to do the extra work. You've already decided, I go through all the animations. You can even make cooler animations, make that take a little longer, and you have then invested the player into the whole thing rather than then um, adding more work at the end. And then if there's something cool dropping out, then you force the player to go and engage with that. What's the extra work you're referring to here? The click to pick up the coins? All the or? clicking. And also, like it's also that having showers of things it's just exciting. And you're taking that away. With regard to the clicking, the system we're discussing here is basically having one click to get the stuff at the end. We don't see that as a lot of extra work. And I agree, it does kind of suck if you replace a cool shower of stuff with a single stack. Now, maybe there are compromises where you can still essentially have a shower animation. You know, that item is quite flashy when it drops a pile of coins, but it's still one click. We have problems with the idea of, like, vacuuming real items in the game. Like, that's probably not going to happen. I think this approach here will reduce the clicking. Back in back in the old days, and I'm not saying this was any better, but like in D2, you open one of those chests that drops a lot of coins, and you get a lot of gold on the ground. Now, we don't have gold, and it kind of was annoying picking all of those up by hand. But there was something relatively... I don't know. It was a process. And nowadays, of course, that process isn't acceptable for players. And we will try to get some kind of flashy effect as much as we can, but it will probably just be a single click to receive that stuff. We're probably not going to go as far as vacuuming it, though. Okay. Since we're bordering on, like, quality of life stuff, Rise UI. Oh, sorry. I just wanted to expand okay. a little bit on the previous thing. Why now? For the longest time, you guys have been talking about this idea of weight that became quite a meme in the community. And suddenly you're taking a different stance. Is this a system that you truly believe in? Or is this something that and are willing to commit to? Or is this something that you're going to change for past currencies? And next league, you know, we're going to have this conversation three weeks into the league, how we're still having to click this stuff. And that's not to say that splinters aren't cool in the way that they give you incremental increases. Because those, I think, in Path of Exile have been very successful. We completely believe in item weight, and that's why we're making this change to make the items heavier, essentially, right? Having it so that the stacks are bigger and more meaningful is a weight-related thing. If we if we were switching to auto-looting or something, then that would be a concession here. So as far as I'm concerned, this is an item weight-driven decision that we're doing. We're respectful that, like, there are too many clicks, but too many clicks doesn't mean, like, we can agree there's too many clicks while still wanting items to have weight in the game. And so that's why you'll still always have to click on individual items. Um, I personally agree. It is kind of annoying in Expedition where you go and kill the monsters, you expect a pile of splinters, you have to pick them up, you have to stash them. There's no gameplay there. There's no decision. You're always just going to go and pick them up and stash them. While we made the stashing easy so that people don't complain they're having to carry them around all the time, it does mean there's very little actual decision-making there. And we don't want to go so far as to auto-looting them because we think that's a very slippery slope. We don't want to go down we'll just design it better in the future. And at whatever point Expedition is integrated into the main game, we'll just have to be really careful with how the splinters are handled, right? We can redesign, it's it's not too bad. Um, since we've essentially the admission has been made that you know Expedition had a step too far in terms of clicks, even without vacuuming up the loot, do you think that there's pos the possibility of concessions to be made within the course of the League itself? Something like you know chests automatically opening or an easier time stashing things at the NPC, just control clicking the NPC, some, something that would lighten the load of clicks and without going so far as to auto vacuum. I'll have a chat to the team about that. Um, nothing's come to mind yet that we're happy to do, but you know, I'll, I'll talk to them and make sure that they understand that people want that. Hmm. Brilliant. Okay, so since we're on this whole quality of life thing, Rise, do your UI thing, and then I'll do another question afterwards.
Sure thing. Uh, many games have quality of life features that are controlled by the player, such as UI or custom buff debuff positions. Can you clarify why this isn't an option for Path of Exile? Uh, when it's been well known since the beta, the current display of buffs, debuffs leaves a lot to be desired and a lot of other systems in this way as well. It's basically old, is what I'm trying to say. Life and mana are too far apart. Buffs are too far apart. You're trying to look at the map that's away from your HP bar. Monitors become bigger. It's hard to track this stuff without getting your character killed. Yeah, you're right that big monitors, especially wide monitors, mean that it's very hard to keep an eye on both health and mana at the same time while playing. And you know, we, we've experimented with different UI layouts, but we want them to be ones that we control. Like As far as we're concerned, the... It's just philosophically from the beginning with Path of Exile, what we wanted to do is to give you a game and say, play the game, as opposed to giving you a camera that can be moved around and lots of UI customization, and let's add some scripting with Lua and all that kind of stuff. We ideally want to provide an experience that is good that players can just play without having to think about all of that. Now, clearly, we're missing the mark in terms of it being modern enough, and that is something we probably need to de-old. This process is slow. Like Changing how the UI works is not an easy thing. A lot of this is as... Like, so much of this right now is concepting for how Path of Exile 2's UI should be in terms of where stuff is laid out. Now, that doesn't mean that we have to wait to Path of Exile 2 necessarily. If we have the code to move debuffs to a better location, then we can just deploy that to Path of Exile 1. They're the same engine, essentially. So you may see it earlier. But yeah, it's an ongoing topic internally. Um, there's so many small reasons for this. Like, from a testing point of view, QA is already struggling with uh, incredibly complicated game as it is, and having it so that there's an infinite amount of like custom UI stuff is going to cause problems where someone works out to do something, which is kind of broken that we weren't able to detect in testing so easily. Then you've got the branding of it, where it's quite important for Path of Exile to look like Path of Exile. And if Path of Exile looks like 10 different games to different people, then it's hard to you know, for that to be communicated. And this is something I care about probably more than the players care about. They don't have to worry about our branding, but it's the type of decision we have to make here. So we're looking to improve it. We have some really cool mock-ups of crazy UI stuff for PoE2 that'll probably never see the light of day, but would certainly show people the experimentation we've been doing. Um, so on that note, um, and it kind of leads into my next point about consoles, but with consoles, we saw kind of a more modern UI, um, and that is one that was approved by GGG, I would assume. So why could we not maybe work something more towards that? We're working on bringing that UI to the controller experience for PoE on PC. That would, that's a thing that's maybe not too far away at this stage. So ideally, you plug in a controller and can use the console UI. Um, it's, it's, it's OK. It could do with improvement. There are things that we'd want to change with the console UI going forward. Um, it's an iterative process, and I think that will, of course, ben benefit the current and future console players as well. But there's this unification dream, right, where, like, you know, you can plug a controller in, you can use couch co-op, you can have mouse and keyboard playing at the same time on console or PC. You've got various consoles like the Steam Deck or the Switch or the PlayStation's controller itself that have touch input, which maybe could be combined with, con with controller controls. There's a whole lot of UI unification that would ideally be possible. And this is something we're working slowly towards. And it does touch the actual HUD stuff on the PC. Um, and it helps that the UI people working on the HUD stuff have wide monitors in some cases so they can see the problem. I mean, I... I'm not going to turn the camera around here, but my monitor is one of those, you know, single rather than dual monitors that's wide and hence it's very hard for me to play POE with the mana and health orbs where they are. So I do appreciate it. Um, so another thing on that, so quality of life, there's something we're talking a lot about with clicking, but what about just basic accessibility, like colorblind options? And funnily enough, POE used to have some colorblind options with the gems and then that got removed and that never really seemed to got addressed. 
So I need a colorblind person who cannot tell the difference between the current gem colors to write me an email at chrisatgrandinggear.com so we can send them some pictures and work this out. Because what we learned from Betrayal, we have these strings that colorblind people could not distinguish. And so we changed the color, that we changed the hue and saturation and stuff of the strings in Betrayal on the, the, the um, syndicate board so that they were more distinguishable and people stopped complaining about that. And so there must be something we've done wrong with the gem socket colors, but the intention is that they look like different shades of gray or whatever to colorblind people. Um, our our understanding was that this solved the problem of needing to have specific shaped notches. Um, but anyway, we'll, we'll sort it out. We just need to get into a dialogue with someone whose colorblindness is worse than the people in our office because we're finding it very hard to actually reproduce this problem. Um, okay, that's brilliant, thanks. I want to talk about some PV2 stuff, but does anyone have any questions about current PV they want to talk about first? Uh, I had like a, two things I had written down. Right, so first of all, uh, since you are making Fortify only from melee, where does that leave casters? Because self-casting right now, I'm just going to raise this question so that in future 316, mm. that self-cast is not even worse. Because that, that, yeah, that, that's like number one. Just there, There's definitely a, a, a gap there defensively. The team are very unhappy with Fortify being used by everyone, right? Like the intention was not mm -hmm. that. And look, I, I don't even have notes on this one. This is me remembering something that was discussed a while ago, and I'm pretty sure I was told not to talk about it. So, actually, getting in trouble for this one. My understanding is the intention with the Fortify change is that the the size of the Fortify effect is going to be based on basically how much melee damage and or tankiness that you're doing, like how much of being a marauder you are or whatever, dictates how big the Fortify is. So if you're in there, in the thick of combat, deserving a gigantic reduction to physical damage, you get it. And if you happen to have a dagger equipped briefly while you cast Whirling Blades four seconds ago, maybe you're not getting a 30% damage reduction as a process. Okay. Now, if that means we have to provide other other ways for casters to get the defensives sorted out, then so be it. And I really hope the team are working on that. It's right. not a conversation I was in. It's just that we think that, you know, tagging a monster once every now and then with Fortify and then magnifying it up to basically make you invulnerable is probably not great. So yeah, I'm sorry, but our intention is not to have 316 full of nerfs. It's the only thing I could even think of changing in 316 that people might interpret as a nerf. And that's why sure. I brought it up. And I guess that, that sounds... one's up. The problem is that sounds like the sort of issue that we have exactly right now with the stuff that Nugi mentioned, for instance, that the stronger character becomes snowbally even more powerful through the fact that they're able to hit harder. The same way that a faster character generates more flask charges. It doesn't seem like much of a solution to all this other stuff that you were talking about before. Well, I'll let the team who work on this and have been doing it so far to try to work that out. I don't think that me speculating is going to help here. I'm, at best, I'll overpromise something or be wrong. But yeah, they're, they're smart people and there's lots of people involved in it and they will be watching this. So, you know, we, what we're just going to have to do is be more clear about the stuff in advance so that there's plenty of time for the community to raise concerns and have this healthy discussion and so yeah. on. That's a bit of a shift for us because a lot of stuff does come in at last minute. We have our rigid schedule. It's difficult, but we're just going to have to learn to be more open with the balance changes because, you know, people have a lot of personal investment in the game and a very sensitive, you know, the loss aversion is very high. And I'm so very invested oh. in this because the justification for the mana nerfs were that you were building damage and defense simultaneously. Mm -hmm. So when I hear something like this, but my favorite archetype is somewhat dead, you know, I didn't... Since we're talking, uh, we were talking a bit about quality of life, can I uh, ask about trade in that regards? So I actually... As far as like buying equipable items is concerned, currently in Path of Exile, I actually don't mind that like 99% of the time. I find it fairly enjoyable, it's fairly responsive, works out pretty well. 
However, we were talking earlier about how like making sure that things are tradable so people have access to like chase content and stuff like that. A lot of that involves mass trading for scarabs, for delirium orbs, for maps, for sextants, for chisels, trading your currency around, trading your splinters around, trading your catalysts around. And it's not at all uncommon that I have to message 20 to 25 people, even if I scroll down the list a bit first. I've been able to mitigate that somewhat by using live search, which means I get constant whoop, 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 while I'm trying to make sure that I'm getting items that are listed in literally seconds ago as they just enter their map so that I can buy those items because by forcing them to leave their map. Because that's actually how it updates right now is like when you change zones. So what usually happens is you list a bunch of items, you go into your map, and then you get messaged for all the items you just listed up. So a lot of discussion has gone around the idea of having some sort of trade system, auction housey thing or some equivalent for explicitly uh, consumable goods for artifacts, for splinters, for maps, for currency. Where are you guys at with that? Um, I understand the concern. I wonder if there's ecosystem changes we can make to make it less frustrating in terms of the number of people you have to message before. Because, I mean, there are several problems with the auction house thing, ranging from the fact that it's a large implementation project to um, to the technical side of it and potential database performance and so on and so on. I wonder if it's possible for us to just make trade for those kind of commodities better with some smart changes to the trade site. Because the intention is not that you have to message 25 people. Um, I don't have any news there, right? Like, it's not something I can commit to, but I'll take it back to the team. Um, yeah, it would be good for it to be less frustrating. On Do you a have side any idea, note, like, how you would achieve that with the current system? Like, it seems nearly impossible. Yeah, I'll, I'll have... We've, they've got some ideas that are being discussed, but I'll need to take it back to the guys who are working on the trade stuff. Um, just As a side note, I'd be entirely on. happy... I'd be entirely happy with auctions if they weren't essentially buy it now things, right? Like if there was a thing where you list an item and then it takes a few days of people bidding on it so that it was a real auction, which I understand is not what people are asking for here. That kind of thing is okay, providing there's some significant friction involved in getting items that way. Um, anyway, just just a thought. Um, Obviously still a lot of work to make that. Yeah, on that same point, how would you respond to the very common thing that I see of people are saying that the trade system is held up by bots and that your trade is like, you need bots and surely that proves there's a big problem there when obviously you would assumably not want bots in your game. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. The best trades that happen on softcore oftentimes are with bots. It's kind of the dirty unspoken thing right now. Hardcore too. True. Yeah, no, actually hardcore trade. I, <laughs> I'd say it, it might even be worse than hardcore trade. I think 50% of my trades for anything consumable or with a bot. It's not it's not a great system. Um we haven't noticed players noticing when we ban the bots. Like they while we're not like waking up each day going, let's ruin trade by finding the trade bots and banning them. What we do do is wake up each day and say, let's ruin the RMTs by finding their entire network and pulling the plug on it. And that takes out the currency bots that they've got trading. And so we'll we'll hit it quite hard. And we haven't yet noticed people actually reacting to that, which is interesting, but yeah, it is a sad thing. I mean, we don't want people botting the game in any form. We don't want people using automation to do trades, so it definitely has to be disallowed. But at the same time, we appreciate the fact that it adds convenience to what you know you guys are wanting to do for your trades. And yeah, we'll have a discussion internally about this stuff. And I understand that we shouldn't be conflating equipment trades with commodity trades. Yeah. Um, another thing I want to mention actually before we move on to PV2 stuff. So another big aspect of 315 was changes to mobility gems, especially. Um, which has been a really big point for a lot of players. It's made people who like to go fast feel worse. It makes slower players feel worse as well because they feel like they have to use them more aggressively unless using them 
It's the whole reactive versus proactive thing. Basically, is the team happy with the current state of mobility? It hasn't come up as a thing that we've had big discussions about in the last days while we've been trying to resolve these topics. And part of that is that we haven't gone through everything so far. Like the things I've talked about here are pretty much where we're at with stuff. There's no discussion about the mobility stuff either because everyone is happy and we just feel that the players will have to get used to it or just that it still needs to be discussed. I personally do not have significant concerns with it. I think that mobility is still probably in an easier place than where I would personally like it to be. But don't worry, that doesn't mean that I'm going to go and get that nerfed, right? I don't actually have that ability to. Like, This touches back to the the role of Chris and all of this nerfing stuff, is that if I go to the team and I say, we need to we need to nerf this stuff, they're going to politely pat me on the head and push me back towards my office and say, you've got a spreadsheet you can do in there, right? Like, And by the same token, they'll come to me and say, Chris, we've got some nerfs we want approval on because they have to get approval from me. And half the time I'm like, this feels like a bit much. Let's find another way, right? Like I'm to some extent in, like insulating the game from a lot of the more crazy nerfs. 3.15 could have been a lot worse, but there are things suggested that prompt a lot of discussion and we decide as a team not to do them. And sometimes it's me pushing quite hard not to do them. Um, and likewise, um, if I want something to be nerfed, that's not actually going to get nerfed. So I may say to people, I don't like where movement is at. This is getting to be too free. They say, yeah, it's in a good place now. We're not going to make it any worse. That doesn't mean it's in a good place, of course. Maybe it's terrible and we still have to discuss it. But I suspect that will come out in the, you know, the, like we're planning to do more of these um, chats with different community content creators and stuff. And that may mean that we can discuss mobility potentially on a later one once we've had more chance to talk about it. Um, so I mean, as a follow-on to that, I often have my own personal game use tends to lie a lot more to the devs but if you're in a situation where like your lead developers your balance guys are coming to you saying we want to severely nerf things and you're not the balance guy and you're having to say no doesn't that imply there's a big disconnect there between the players and the devs so there are two there are two notes two reasons why i would not nerf something the first one is philosophically right this game is theoretically me and eric and jonathan's vision of how we want to you know an action rpg to be we have developers who disagree with our vision in some cases and they'll bring a thing to us and we say actually we don't want that because there are these reasons so there's like real reasons why we'll say this is not in line with it especially itemization stuff that i personally care about very deeply i don't want dumb stuff to happen there items are very hard to undo changes to um and there's also just philosophical stuff like a lot of people here want headhunter to not be stupid they want it so that headhunter isn't an auto win button and I think it's very important that there are items like that that are chased, right? I agree. It's a bit silly when you get a hit under, but that's what winning the game feels like. It's the power fantasy. You're a god now, right? So sure, it kind of makes me cringe a bit when people, you know, stream crazy hit under stuff and the character is, you know, 30 meters tall and so on. But at the same time, I know philosophically that item needs to stay how it is and we need more like that in the game that are hard to get. Um, likewise, when someone comes to me and says, Goldrim, is very good at leveling and it's quite a common unique people are getting a lot of these and it trivializes resist we should make it rarer my answer is actually no there's a purpose for it being very common it's, it's designed to be remedial you meant to be able to get them easily it's the cheap option to do in trade leagues if you just need a hand up it's not going to ruin the game no one's using it in maps don't worry about it so i do have opinions there that i don't feel a disconnect they're just a core philosophy thing and then the second reason is production, right? Their nerfs take time. They aren't just a matter of changing the number and letting it get released because that's how we end up with problems. Real nerfs take a lot of testing. And so as one of the producers on the team who manages people's time, if someone comes to me with nerfs, even if they sound good, I can say, nah, we've got too many of these, which there's no time to do the nerf properly. And then thirdly, of course, is the political side, right? There, you know, There's a point where you get too many nerfs and you're going to lose 30% of your revenue. And we know where that threshold is now. And we're careful to not nerf too much stuff at the same time, right? You know. 
we're so careful with like mid league nerfs and stuff. People come to us every day and say, there's a major problem on the realm. Players are doing this thing with this unique. We need to fix it. And almost all the time we say, we can't change that mid league. They're just going to have fun with it. And then we're going to have to nerf it before the next league. It's very sparing that we do mid league nerfs as a policy. Anyway, I'll stop ranting about that. Um, but there, there are legitimate I, I have a few specifics from this league on that point, but I won't labor that point too much. But then why is that different for stuff like explosive concoction interactions or seismic traps and stuff like that? Yeah, um, and this league we have been more we have been more forward with our changes because there were buffs we had to make. And we try to avoid mid-league buffs as well, because it sucks when you look at the options, you evaluate them, you play this character, you invest in it, and then we buff that one over there, and now it's better. And you kind of wanted to play that at the start, but you decided it was the bad one. So mid-league buffs are undesirable as well, but we knew we had to come out of the gate with some because Absolution was in a terrible place, for example. You know, that needed a big buff and various other cases that we've had to change. The follow-up to that would be, how could Absolution even ship in an extent that it needed a 400% buff in the first place? That is a great question. Um, the testers who tested it thought it was fine, right? It sounds like they were wrong or something changed after it was tested. We're not exactly sure. You know, we haven't gone through the exact process of finding each person and looking at exactly what playtesting occurred and or what changed when. But our logs for that skill show that it went through multiple people who said this seems good, good place, you know, and there were there were issues raised and we made changes and it went out in a bad state. And that's just terrible process on our end. And I'd like to say that I'd like to say that that isn't going to happen in the future, but I feel it's getting to the point where we've said that quite a lot of times in the past. And so we'll do our best to minimize this. We don't want to release stuff that needs that much of a buff, um, you know, that, that's that far off base at its release. Um, you don't have to answer this, um, but because I feel like it's often in these cases, it's quite easy to just kind of throw QA under the bus. So is this a management issue with the handling of QA or is this a QA failing issue? Oh, it's not. It's not QA failing. They don't. You know, they're, they're, they're very good, and um, it's it's certainly a case on our end of us not doing what it took to make sure that it was tested properly, right? There are many different playstyles. We need to make sure that things are tested by various different types of players. I mean, I'm just um, hearing from QA at the moment that there were several QA members that told us that Absolution was trash, right? So great, the alarm, the alarm was raised. Why did we not hear that, right? Why is it the first that I'm hearing of it here? You know... I know that Mark wasn't told about that as well. We need to make sure that the processes are robust, right? That there's a good way that if a QA member thinks that something's bad, that that actually gets to the people who are deciding whether it's released or not. Because when we check into its history, the notes we see make it seem like it's okay, and that went out. And this is all just to do with the hectic schedule we've got, right? You know, the 13 weeks, we're committing to too much. There's too much stuff going on in the expansions that causes this. And these are the consequences of that, skills that need major changes. There's also the topic of maybe we just need to get more structured alpha testing in. We've backed ourselves into a corner here where we do our announcements so close to release that we can only put it on alpha a week before release without leaks, right? And the leaks are the reason why we can't have nice things here. If the alpha testers could stop leaking stuff, please, then we would um, be able to test stuff earlier. And so as it stands, we're looking at solutions like removing every tester, getting new testers where we legally sign a contract with them where we threaten to sue if they leak stuff, for example. And that's horrible. Like We don't want to lose our existing testers. They've been there for so long. They've been so good, almost all of them. But someone's leaking stuff. And we don't want to have nasty contracts that we have to enforce in order for them to be realistic. And so we're stuck in a pretty bad situation with the alpha test where we want to get more community feedback because absolutely they would have noticed the absolution stuff and given us you know, time to fix it if we'd had a longer test up. Does that not then logically proceed that, you know, if if alpha is in this kind of gridlock state where you don't really have the ability to properly test with it, that 
a reduction in scope or an extension of the development cycle would be the next step to look towards. hundred yeah, percent. And scope reduction is the key thing here because we kind of kitchen sink stuff in 3.15 a little bit. And this is partly to do with the different, um, like the different approaches we're taking to each league. Sometimes we say, okay, guys, it's fine to get a lot of changes in here because we're going to do a big balance pass. And sometimes that works well. And sometimes it's a train wreck and we're trying. I don't want to limit the expansions down to just be tiny because that's going to provide less room for people to be creative and add interesting stuff to the game. 316 is one of those um, very carefully controlled scope ones where we know exactly what we're doing in 316 and we're going to deliver that and it's going to be high quality. But because of that, it may mean that the cool, interesting, like the fun stuff that people want to sneak in is less present in this because we're controlling it like a hawk and making sure there are no problems. And so I, I feel that corporate stuff kind of stifles creativity and I'm very careful about making it too regimented. Like I feel that's going to be bad for the game long term. Um, yeah, thank you for going into that. You didn't have to. Um, just, go on, Rose. I also just wanted to clarify because could you talk a little bit more about the process of these things? Very frequently we have a situation where you guys talk about how we can't release the patch notes earlier because just days before a release, we're still testing stuff, we're still updating stuff. What version of the game is the QA really playing? Absolution being a good example of the situation where uh, at least when it comes to the old mana, the ability would have been totally sustainable. But with the new mana changes, it was very clear that aside from the damage problems, the sustainability was like a gigantic issue. So do they actually get to play or the version that you guys are going to be releasing or are all of these changes like still missing and that then they have to test it. So it's basically change, a question of like, when is this change in a, in a time frame? The changes are certainly done over time, right? Like right now, for example, with the changes they're testing for 3.16 or on a version of the game that's mostly 3.15 because most of the 3.16 stuff is not done yet. And that's absolutely a valid issue where maybe if you go into the last minute, change a bunch of mana changes, then the things that are tested are now essentially untested. And so that means important, you know, pipelining is very important there. There are people who try to get this right and generally they do. And occasionally there are problems where these kind of things come out. And part of this is that there's a lot of stuff in Path of Exile that has to work together. And we have, you know, dozens of people trying to test this and make sure it's all correct. But, you know, there will occasionally be problems. I would like there to be fewer problems. And I think that we can be more intelligent about it. It's just that getting people, you know, trained up to have good process here is something that's taking time. You know, we have a growing amount of production staff. Previously, we'd have like one project manager working across both POE2 and POE1 in terms of managing all this time. Now we're at several. Um, it's certainly a way that the company is having to evolve as things get um, more and more complicated. Um, Thanks. Again, I'm in favor of these new game options, so don't see this as me saying don't do it. But if there's very clearly miscommunication issues within Office and struggling to manage all of these different, you know, uh, plates with POE2 development, current league management, next league management, doesn't adding extra things like Royale and a Macus, Maca, yeah, I can't even say it, hard mode, just make the problem even worse because now you're just adding more confusion to an already very muddled system? Well, Royale has been easy to test because essentially what we did is we had 100-person playtests where we said to the whole team, hey, it's Friday, it's 4 o'clock, let's just do a playtest. And everyone played for an hour and then we made a bunch of feedback and the whole process took a couple of hours out of the week and then people worked on it and then we had another playtest. Uh, it's very hard to QA Royale without having a lot of players in it. So while there were individual small QA things for you know, individual features, it wasn't a big distraction. 
Um, as for hard mode, that's basically being done entirely separately. This is a part-time thing that the founders are working on where we probably will get some QA attention on it, but it's going to be treated as a beta for a long time, right? That, that game mode is oppressive, and to some extent, the balance doesn't really matter because you're not going to get access to the skills and stuff that need to be balanced due to the oppressive nature of it. Like it's, I, I do have to emphasize the fact that that mode is... is 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 unique in so far as the fact that it's very hard to actually see some of the content in the game, and that's what makes it special. And so, people part of the joy is finding the remaining um, islands of unbalance that are left in it. Um, Ziggy, there was some, there was a crafting question, wasn't there? Before we got to PvP stuff. Yeah. Okay. So people love like rog and harvest crafting and other forms of deterministic crafting in Path of Exile. I think we can agree the reception has been very good to those historically. I think because of a combination of like, it lets them play more builds, engage with more content in the game. So there's obviously the power side of things, but there's also an increased ownership over personal gear. You progress your gear over time much more than you do if you just buy it or if it just drops and then you slap it on. Um, so why, A, do we keep introducing deterministic crafting only to pull back from it later? We like there being a degree of deterministic crafting. We just don't want it to make the best items in the game. And that's the tricky thing is we, like master crafting, for example, it allows you to add specific mods onto your items. It's probably not going to create the best item in the game. And we've had problems in the past with fossils. We've had problems in the past with harvest. And we just pitch these at the wrong place occasionally. Now, harvest was a somewhat intentional experiment, right? Like what we wanted to do with harvest was to say, what would Path of Exile be like with incredibly powerful crafting? because maybe that's appropriate for Path of Exile too. Certainly we found there's a large group of players who really like that. And so we did that experiment. Unfortunately, the fallout of the expectations we set with that experiment were rather difficult to manage afterwards, right? Like a lot of people are upset that the game currently isn't like that because we perceived it as negative for the game. Do you think that putting this type of crafting in a league specific setting was a good idea? If you look at Harvest and a league like Ritual, it basically determined the entire game for a lot of people. Where because Harvest is such a universally true thing to do in PoE, having it within one league mechanic forces everyone to engage with that one league mechanic, rather than having it as a core part of the game, as core as, say, currency. Well, I agree that having very, very powerful best craftings, you know, fenced off to some specific mechanic is not the right place for it. But I feel that's because Harvest was too powerful. And I didn't regret the fact that we did Harvest as a league. That was okay. The thing that I regret was then making it core without enough modifications, right? Because that signaled, this is a thing we're okay with. It's in Path of Exile now. And everyone breathed a sigh of relief and said, oh, great. There's insanely easy access to items. Game is easy mode. Sweet. And then later we said, oh, oh, no, 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 no. That was a mistake. And then because we'd signaled it was there forever, people got very upset that it was taken away. I, I, I think your core point here that gating it behind specific content, forcing people to do that content isn't great. And one of the things we're doing, for example, in fact, let me just find some more of these notes that I'm not supposed to be reading everything out from, was, you know, at the moment how there are like mastercrafts that are stuck in like really deep delves and stuff like that. The team are discussing getting those and putting them into core content, basically saying you don't have to delve insane depths in order to be able to do certain more advanced crafts. Like they're aware of the fact that we're kind of forcing people to play content that ideally should be optional considering how much stuff is in Path of Exile. Like multiple crafted mods being gated behind the Pale Councilful fight is, you know, the Pale Council fight is not probably the right place for it. And so there are changes they're looking to make there. 
Um, we opened the, the discussion. <laughs> sorry, yeah. we opened the discussion with kind of uh, clarifying a lot of your stances on things. What to GGG is a league? In the past, it seemed like it was a bite-sized sort of thing that you would do for three months, and it was a way of almost testing or like beta testing content that could in the future be implemented in some other way. But nowadays, whenever you have a, a system such as Harvest that gets implemented, people from the get-go treat it as a core feature. And it's something that will persist, and therefore they don't have to worry about the removal of it. What to GGG are leagues supposed to feel like for players? They're, they're meant to be experiments, right? But with Harvest, we then put it in the core game and said this is a core feature, right? So we we were the ones miscommunicating there. We made a mistake of rolling it into the core game in the form that we did and should have um, considered the consequences more before doing that. If we just had it as a league, I think players would have understood that was Harvest time, now we're doing something else. Um, at least most people would think that. And generally, leagues have been very good for us. I remember a few years ago, a developer of another online game sat me down at GDC and said, the fact that you've got leagues training people, the content will be removed and only may get added into the core game is really valuable. And the MMO he was working on, everything they do has an expectation of being around forever. And that was causing big problems. So leagues are a powerful tool for us here for various reasons. It's a fresh start, like a good reason to get a spike of players every three months. Um, and to let us try crazy things. And some leagues have been a big success, like Dell, for example, is still around and enjoyed in the game. And other ones just were kind of an abject failure. And there are some that previously were deemed to have failed that we're potentially um, able to improve for the future. Do you not worry Do you regret leagues summit, like Harvest? Do you regret leagues like Harvest? Or is it just a experience for the company? Um, I mean, we learned a lot from it, right? We both learned the consequences of deterministic crafting. We both learned lessons about player expectations, you know, it, it, you know, the league design of the actual garden stuff itself was quite instructive to us. So we're going to be doing these, like there's going to be, you know, 40 more Path of Exile leagues across POE 1 and POE 2, and if there's a POE 3 and so on. So it's important for us to learn for the long term and to, you know, to talk to players and find out what they liked and didn't like about each one. Um, this might not be a question you have an answer to directly as it's it's a little bit more on the specific side, but like the current state of Harvest, do you think that that's an acceptable place for it to be with augments still technically being in the game, but being as honestly obscenely rare as they are? I'm okay with that in principle. Like I've been involved in that discussion personally. I am fine with where that is in the main game. It certainly won't work that way in hard mode, but that's a separate topic. Um, I believe there is a change we're making where the ones that do Chaos or Alk do both like essences now. Like we're trying to simplify the the crafts um, available in Harvest so that you have um, less of a spam of them and they have more functions each, if you see what I mean. You yeah. can see that as a Harvest buff, but it's really not changing a whole lot apart from a bit of accessibility. Um, oh, there was another change. There was another change, by the way, with Veiled mods. The team are basically really looking to make some changes to that system. The notes that I have here are that, like, for most of the Veiled mods, they'll unlock immediately on being unveiled once, so you don't need to you know, grind up a progress bar for them. Some of the more advanced ones may still require that progress bar grind for the most powerful, but for the vast majority, you just immediately unlock potentially all tiers they're discussing um, upon one single unlock of it. 
Um, one thing I wanted to ask on that train of thought of things being kind of experimental and players shouldn't be expecting, doesn't that kind of lead into the whole fear of missing out and abuse early abuse often? And there's currently a big issue with the player base if we don't really know where the limits are and like what interactions we can. And the big thing with this league especially, um, and again, is it's just it often feels like we don't know where you are and what we can and can't do. And I, one example I gave previously to finish this point was it often feels to me like a lot of the old mechanics that would have been heralded as this is PoE at its core and be part of like a build of the week is now considered something which has to be fixed and removed. Right. I guess it's clear to us where the line is, but it's harder for the players to see it from their point of view. I think that's something that requires more communication. Um, I don't have good guidelines off the top of my head of how to explain what will get you, you know, banned for being an exploit and what is something that we're going to fix, but pretty much we have a good idea of what um, like the appropriate rewards are for certain interactions. And if it crosses the line, we'll try to fix that problem. Um, and of course, you know, in some cases, like I'd like to think that anyone who is banned for exploiting knows exactly why they were banned. Like if you're, you know, if you're, if you're finding a way of repeating something happening in the game rapidly, that's showing you with rewards, for example, that's probably over a line. And we try to react to this stuff very quickly. It's just that we, um, you know, we get the reporters happening, we have minutes, and then everyone else is doing it on the realm, and we don't really want to have to shut the game down or response while we fix it. So the fix takes, you know, 40 minutes to get tested and up. And during that time, there's been a lot of items made that we have to go and clean up. Um, we actually put all of these precautions in place. Like, on the last day before Expedition came out, we added a master switch for turning off the specific vendors. Like, right now, if there was some problem with ROG that was causing people to get ridiculous items, I can press a key like that, and ROG turns off game-wide instantly without a patch. Like, it just distributes to all the instances, no more ROG, and there's a message that says, you know, fix that one, and then we go and deploy a proper patch that sorts it out. It. And so, <laughs> just do it. This, Don't no, do it. Pull ROG. <laughs> The kill so switch. We, we have the ability to kill switch various functions in the game, which the intention there is to prevent a situation where players are seeing someone stream something saying this must be okay and then walking right into a three month ban for doing that thing. Okay. Do it, Chris. Come on. Show them how much PoE can really suck. <laughs> we believe. Um, okay. I, I think, uh, unless anyone has anything pressing, we probably should move yeah, on to PoE too. One more thing I just kind of wanted to ask is like a bit of a thought experiment for crafting. You mentioned about the best items not being produced through deterministic crafting. Uh, as a thought experiment, like why why is that? Why shouldn't they be for people who are unclear about that? Myself included. If you get the best item through crafting and it's not something you find through playing the game, then you have no reason to kill monsters. Like I believe that once your character is perfect, why, why are you killing monsters to get some more experience? You know, it's... You don't it, currently kill monsters for rares, though, to be clear. Yeah, but we're going to fix the game so that you do kill monsters for items, right? Like, we're going to find an appropriate way to do that in the main game that doesn't involve significant nerfs, because I understand people will be angry if we just, you know, turn that into what I'm describing with hard mode. But I'm hoping that upon people playing the other mode, they will appreciate when you have a large amount of item upgrades possible ahead of you, things are actually really exciting. And yeah. I'm I think that's the core of the problem right now, though, is that like players have this road to good items, which is the crafting system, and that's not meant to get you, uh, at, at least in, if, from what you've said, correct me if I'm wrong, that's not meant to get you to the best item, but mm -hmm. there isn't really a good path there otherwise right now. So, you know, they feel like they've had the rug pulled out from under them um, with the removal of, of, well, removal is a strong word, it's still in the game, but the massive changes to Harvest and the changes yeah. to Ashling going into this league as well, that sort of thing. 
I'm I'm not at all happy with where the animation stuff is, Path of XR White. Like it's gonna take some work to get into a good state. Um and we're very careful here to not use Path of Exile 2 as the excuse to try to reset this, right? Because we understand there's player expectations. And one of the reasons why we took a lot of risks with 3.15, which one could argue backfired on us, was because we did not want to take those risks on PoE2 launch day. Like, imagine if PoE2 happened and there was that feedback on release. Don't play this game, it's just bad. Would be terrible, right? Like, that... that shoots a huge project in the face for no reason. And so we would rather take risks now so that when PoE2 comes out, it's exactly balance-wise as players are expecting it to be, and so they just have a good time with it. Do you have any thoughts towards making crafting more accessible for people who aren't currently into it? Because I love crafting in Path of Exile, both deterministic and the less deterministic aspects of it, but it is very... The less deterministic stuff is very hard for people to get into. I think Rog is actually a pretty good step in the right direction because... Um, well, if his artifacts weren't tradable, people would be more inclined to engage with that who would otherwise don't necessarily get into crafting currently because it is much more approachable. It's got that deterministic aspect. It's not fully deterministic. You don't choose what items he gives you, but it's still much more accessible. Do you guys have any thoughts towards making that happen more for people to get more into crafting, take ownership over their characters and items? The nice thing about Rog is he does help explain to you basically, you know, what, well, at least with the changes we've got here that highlight what prefixes are and suffixes are and which, you know, mods have the lowest levels and that kind of stuff, is it does help people understand the relatively arcane system that we have going on. I mean, look, there'll be far more path, there'll be far more crafting in Path of Exile, and we'll try to introduce good crafting that's easy for people to get into and explain stuff well and doesn't make it too easy to get the best items in the game. Like, we're not saying no to more crafting systems. It's just that we want to have a step back and look at how people are acquiring items from the ground, how they're acquiring items from bosses in terms of chasing specific things, how they're getting stuff through crafting, and making sure that there's a wide scope of things available for them to get in the future. And so far, we've managed to avoid doing this through the addition of new tiers of explicit mods and items. Like, the last time we added, you know, mid-level 80 kind of um, mods and items was a very long time ago. And so this is potentially how we can break out of the current item expectations is by having better items possible with some power creep that goes with it. But when we do that, we have to make sure it's um, alongside robust systems to find them and craft them and chase them and so on. On that, um, how do you communicate to the player that there is a better upgrade for them? So right now, if you find something up the ground and it has like this damage on it, like there's, it's really difficult for someone to understand their upgrade path. Right, with Bestiar, you have all these like beasts you can look at, but it's not really it's not really something people use. However, with crafting, if I have physical damage on the weapon, I would like to upgrade it. I would like to know how do I get there. Could there be mm. like say um, an encyclopedia in the game where these are the possible mods of like you can get up to merciless. The thing is, by a lot of people use this in other games as oh, I have this thing I could get in the future. Let me figure out how I get there. Mm. And that creates a, like a path to where you want to go to. Yeah, I understand what you mean. It may be that we need to like integrate some type of wiki or automatically generated encyclopedia in the game that you easily like to some extent kind of you know click on a mod of your item and see what options there are that it could be like what are the prefixes yes. around this pool what tier it could potentially go to what level it would be that that spawns at and basically just have a play with the item that kind of thing could be useful currently it's a bit intentionally obtuse if you see what i mean like sure. crafting a reward for the people that are smart and work it out it hasn't been too hard for most path of exile veterans to work it out but it's completely a black box to a lot of players like they don't know where to start with the crafting. You know, they're like, so I, I chaos the item. Is it better now? I can't tell. Is is quite a common experience. Um, 
things like mastercrafting are helpful because they explicitly say this is a thing you can add to the item but then the context here is you don't know whether there was a better option in terms of like you know potentially exalting on a mod or something like that that could have been better than the mastercrafted one um this problem is somewhat mitigated in hard mode of course because the items are on average very poor and so you kind of have a good idea of what the improvements are because they have more than one or two mods that you actually want on them um right pv2 because that's kind of a thing um <laughs> So how much of PV2 is actually done so far, and is it realistic for players to expect to have it by, say, 2024? Path of Exile 2 has work started on most of the acts. It's Act 1 is 90% complete, I would say. I had a playthrough of that on the weekend, actually. It's looking pretty damn good. There's some new areas and stuff that we didn't show off at ExileCon that are nice. Um, act 2... It's... I'd say 75% complete at the moment, with the later acts being started. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot, but that's because we had... While trying to get our art style and quality and stuff sorted out, we had to do a lot of work setting standards and getting processes in place. And now we're kind of entering the full production mode. And there are two things to note here. The first one is that COVID hasn't helped at all. Like, the borders have been closed. No one's come into New Zealand, apart from New Zealanders, since March of last year, which is not great. Um, and secondly, we are now like just fully expanding overseas if we need to, right? You know, dealing with outsourcing studios, people working remotely. If you are a world-class artist and you want to work on Path of Exile 2, especially on environment stuff, contact us, email uh, chris at grindinggear.com and apply, and we will um, get you some work doing Path of Exile 2 environment stuff. So our plan basically is to add about 100 artists over the next six months um, to scale up, and we have a you know schedule for this. And to answer your question of will we see Path of Exile 2 before 2024, our expectation, our expectation is yes. Um, the rate we were going at during our pre-production phase, if you look at how long it took to you know, create the Excelcon demo, of course, would take a very long time to finish the game. But now that that's sorted out and we have a really good plan for everything and it's just a matter of smashing the content out, um, we do believe that within two years we'll very likely be you know, in public beta or very close to release. And that's very exciting. The quality level for Path of Exile 2 is insane, and there's a lot of cool stuff going on there. So is that your main looking... limiting factor at the moment, just artists? We would like artists, a lot of them. Like, if today we get 20 or 30 applications from good environment artists, we'll be very happy. If you're looking for bullshit artists, there's five right here. <laughs> no problem. Very nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, we we do have our recruiting plans underway. Like we, you know, it doesn't we're not hinged on the community applying, but um, you know, we we do want to work with world class people. And I sometimes get the feeling that most of the Path of Exile community are game developers, and I don't mean that sarcastically because of the comments that sound like <laughs> I'm a game developer. Once I do legitimately mean there was a period where I'd go to GDC and everyone who walks by me sees my Path of Exile shirt and says, "I love that game. I play it all the time." And I'm thinking, do we have any players who aren't in the industry? Because it's a complicated game, right? So it makes sense that a bunch of coders and stuff would be playing it. But um, but in all seriousness, though, we are pushing really hard to expand the team a lot. We've got a new floor at this office that's finishing renovation soon, and you know we're certainly going to get a lot of PoE two done over the next two years. Um, another big thing that's come up a lot is that PoE two is going to be solving all the problems of PoE one. That's a statement that you made on previous Bay class. Do you still stand by that statement? Our intention is yes. Like. We have the ability to redo things and do it correctly the right the second time round, right? Like the skill gem system, for example, the new one is just such a dream to play. Like it's, you know, I was doing something in the PoE two client recently because it was open and it was just so much nicer getting to use the new skill gem system. And that's even before we've revealed all the crazy stuff you can do with the way that it works now with like meta gems and so on. So there's 
that's the kind of thing which we feel is just a complete improvement on Path of Exile 1. The campaign is a lot better. The combat feels so much better. Like, it's... It, it really is good. And then we're careful to not screw things up, right? Like, we don't want the 315 experience of stuff being weird on PoE2 launch day. The intention here is we only make well-intentioned changes that so we have the ability to test in Path of Exile 1 beforehand. And so that's why we believe we're going to be solving all the problems, because we can play Path of Exile 1 right now and say, okay, what's going on here? Well, some of the art assets are old. We're fixing that. Um, there's performance issues. Well, we're fixing that with our engine stuff, which admittedly is being rolled into Path of Exile 1 as we go. We um, feel the campaign is not necessarily as compelling as it could be because it was made a long time ago. Okay, so the new campaign is very well thought out and a lot more streamlined and interesting. Um, you know, the skill gem system is good. Uh, we're basically taking anything that we encounter as a problem in Path of Exile 1 and trying to improve it in PoE 2. If it's a thing that's risky, we'll improve it in PoE 1 beforehand so that we get your feedback on it. Um, obviously, a big desire with Path of Exile 2 is to revitalize the leveling process, but there's currently, and has been for a while, a lot of complaining about people who hate doing the axe over and over again. And they worry that with PoE 2, you're just going to temporarily solve the problem for a few months and people are going to be back to hating the axe. What would you say to those players? So... There's a few topics here. The first one is the Path of Exile 2 storyline is ostensibly shorter than the Path of Exile 1 storyline. We're targeting seven acts rather than ten, right? So it's a it's a it's a more concise thing. Secondly, it is legitimately more fun. The stuff you're doing in these acts is just better than the stuff you're doing in the Path of Exile 1 acts. Path of Exile 1, especially, to be honest, Part 2, which is referring to Acts 6 through 10, that was done relatively hastily. Like, as you may recall, that was all for the Fall of Ariath, where we decided to, like, you know, remix the first half of the game. So essentially, POE 1 currently, as much as I love Acts 6 to 10, it really is 1 to 5, and then kind of rehashed versions of 1 to 5 again. You know, it's got the whole 2 to 40 level thing, whereas Path of Exile 2 has unique content all the way through. Now... In addition to this, we're aware of the fact that there are players who are wanting to play through to endgame, and while we're never going to offer them the ability to skip there, we are aware of the fact that the game needs to be pretty streamlined for them to be able to play through, and we're taking care with quests and stuff. We don't have as much of the whole go here, then here, then here, then here kind of stuff that's going on Act 3 at the moment, where you have to go all over the place to do stuff. It's designed to be something you can play through um, relatively cohesively. We want it to have a lot more interesting variety. Now, that may seem weird, it may seem like we're slowing you down to have more like level variety and interesting rooms and stuff to come across, but it will dramatically extend the replayability because you'll be encountering interesting things the 5th, 6th, 10th time that you're playing through the act. We want it to be a kind of unique experience, and the goal is that upon each league release, you know, because we're still keeping the league structure with Path of Exile 2, upon each league release, the playthrough does feel as unique as we can so that you actually enjoy the process of getting to maps. We feel we will have failed if it's like skip campaigns, I want to be in maps now. The goal here is, wow, the campaign was bad before, now I actually enjoy the campaign getting to maps, is what we're trying to get. In the past, you've said that you expect the PoE 2 campaign to be of similar amount of time to take to get through as PoE 1. Does this mean that with seven acts, the PoE 1 campaign is going to be getting sped up in some way over the course of time, possibly? The the consideration here is we want to make sure that players are the same character level at the point that they finish it, because our goal is to have compatibility between the two. It is likely that it physically takes fewer minutes to play through the Path of Exile 2 campaign, so that like we want to avoid the situation where the right answer is to play PoE 1 rather than PoE 2, just because it's half an hour faster as a speedrun. Like, we're probably going to err on Path of Exile 2 being a bit faster. Um, so we are taking into account the feedback that it's, uh, you know, maybe takes a bit too long to get into maps at the moment, but they're roughly similar in terms of character progression. Okay. The devil's in the details there, of course, like we haven't actually finished the campaign for period two yet, so we have to see how it feels. Um, for the people who, um, feel like 
they will never really be that into campaigns, regardless of how good you make it. Um, and want some sort of like, after you do it once on your first character, you can skip it for subsequent characters. Is that something you'll ever consider for those people? At the moment, we're just trying to make the campaign as good as we can and solve the problem through quality rather than admitting that it's going to suck or something, right? Like I, I, I just kind of feel it's like, you know, you, you using the book analogy again, you're going to write your book and someone says, well, I'm not going to read it. So can you please at least make the, the blurb on the back of it, like include all the story points rather than just the summary of the beginning? You know, like I, I want to make sure the campaign is as good as possible. If we get to a state where everyone hates the campaign and they need a way of skipping it, we can discuss it then. But that's unlikely. Like we're, it's amazing the difference you get when you make a campaign with a proper professional team of industry veterans as opposed to a bunch of kids, which is what we were at the beginning. I think it. I think to some people this is more like they're not going to read the author's foreword at the start of the book each time they read the book for the second or third or fourth time sort of situation. Yeah, I understand many people feel the game starts at maps, but um, why, why are maps fun, right? You have a degree of control of the stuff. Maybe there's a way we can work that into the game. We're doing some interesting things with the campaign in Path of Exile 2 we have not announced yet that, um, that should be quite good to talk about later. And we're also aware of like, you know, in POE 1, for example, at the moment, there's random sideshows you've got to do, like the labyrinth while you're playing through, right? In POE 2, we're taking into account feedback about this and making sure that this stuff is streamlined and is appropriate and isn't annoying and tedious to get through. How would you respond, and this is something I see quite a lot, and we're even seeing it in chat now, with the fact that these are problems that are affecting the modern player base now, which is supposedly going to be solved three years from now after the thing comes out in 2024. So are we just accepting that there's no improvement for the next three years? I don't think we're going to allow act like, like, you know, campaign skipping in regular Path of Excel, but we can take the lessons that people want to have interesting variety and make sure that, I mean, as I've described, we're going through the campaign right now and making the monsters more compelling, right? There's, I get it that people are sick of having done it, but they'll be less sick of it um, when they're actually getting fights that matter during the campaign. Part of the reason why the campaign is bad at the moment is it's a bit of a snooze fest for a lot of it, right? It's just a obligatory thing before you get to maps where the monsters are a bit more punchy. We're trying to make it fun legitimately as a campaign that you can play through. So the revitalization of POE1 stuff will hopefully help tide us over until POE2 comes out in a couple of years. Um, again, and this isn't this doesn't align with my game mode. I've enjoyed the more difficult acts, but a very common sentiment I've seen is I currently don't enjoy the acts, and by making the acts more difficult, you're just making the thing I don't like slower. I think that if the game is in a state where you're not interacting with the monsters particularly well, and the acts represent a thing that you just have to run through, if that state is deemed as better than a state where you're actually having gameplay involving those monsters, and that's a little sad. Like we have to treat it as a game first to make sure that the game is actually challenging to play through um, as we go through the acts. And so that's the direction we're going to be going in there. Um, and I guess also kind of on that point, again, because a lot of this, like we, we had a lot of heat leading up to this podcast, you, but like there's a lot of frustration with people who kind of felt like Path of Exile was at its best in the last few leagues, 313, 314. And even though I'm sure they're probably reassured to some extent that we're not getting a massive wave of nerfs league after league, what would you say to those people who think they've kind of lost their best version of the game? I'm really glad that they found a version of Path of Exile they liked, and I want to find a way of bringing that back to them, right? Whatever it was that, whatever it was about 3.13, for example, that they loved, we'll recreate that and make sure it's possible in the game, right? We're soliciting feedback on that. We're talking to people who have that, have that sentiment and... There's a variety of interesting stuff. Like part of it's the deterministic crafting and 
the main, you know, in, available in core, right? That's something that we probably aren't bringing it back in the same way that Harvest had it, but it's feedback that we understand we have to make sure the crafting system can can do in the future. Um, you know, Ritual was popular as a league. The Maven stuff being new was quite important as well. Um, you know, the the potential to have aspirational content at the end of the game was something that people loved, even though they were doing it through abusive fractured maps that we hated. Um, we'll find other ways of having aspirational content there. I want to take all the things that were positive there and make sure that they're present in Path of Exile. And I think that this dialogue is really important because it's so easy for us to just a assume that we're right and b get on with making the game and claim we're busy and not you know just kind of pretend the players are complaining because the players always complain and not really address the issues but we've realized that we need to actually have an open dialogue in front of the community with thousands of people watching and solicit feedback and make sure that we're pushing the game in the right direction and be held accountable for that right like we'll have the equivalent of this talk in three months when 316 comes out and if if there's things here that I've promised that had there's been no movement on, we'll have a discussion about why. Some of them good reasons, some of them bad reasons, but a lot of the stuff will hopefully be getting better league by league so that more people have stuff they really enjoy in the game. Okay. Um, the point of the talk is to not have this conversation three months from now, Chris. Come on. We should at least have a recap to make sure, you know, a celebration um, to see how well it went. I'm always down. Yeah. <laughs> I'm down for that. <laughs> Um, I know that Rise, you had a lot of questions that you were worried we weren't going to get to today. Are there any key things we haven't touched on that you feel like we should talk about? Key things, not so much. I think little things. Why are why are wisdom scrolls a thing? I guess. <laughs> I agree. You talked about it a little bit earlier. How people don't pick them up anyway, and you have to use them to identify these items that you never equip on your character anyway because. You can't really ever get a reasonable upgrade through picking up an item from the ground because influence items exist that you then have to research from outside of the game, yada, yada. Wisdom scrolls seem pointless. Ideally, players will enjoy finding rare items or looking at them. There'll be a situation where you find an item on the ground and say, this could be good, and I'm going to enjoy the process of unraveling it, right? Now, the client knows what the stats of the items are before they before you pick it up, right? You can see it while it's on the ground by hovering over it, and item filters can filter on those. If we do not have wisdom scrolls, then item filters can filter to only show you the best items. And that sounds like a great thing, but it really is not. It creates a situation where there's even less thinking. The item filter tells you how to play. Basically, if an item appears, it's going to be an upgrade and so on. We feel it's both important for the weight of the items, which I know is a term people hate, and the anticipation of seeing what it is, and also from a technical point of view, to have it so that there's the unwrapping process. This system does not work well at the moment because there are so many items. It is tedious, it is a chore, you're completely right to question it, and we have to solve itemization. But I feel the correct choice here is to solve itemization and then assess whether the wisdom scrolls are necessary. I personally believe that it will be. I think they serve a valuable purpose, and I know they're not in a great state at the moment. But I'd rather do a proper fix. It'll be super easy. Like, trust me, some of the changes the community are requesting, we could just do all of them in 3.16, and then we'd be very, very unhappy with the game, and it would probably do better, right? Like, you know, it's I, I want to do what we feel is right for the game um, in a way that makes people happy and takes into account the long-term stuff. And so that's why sometimes we're going to do harder solutions rather than the easy, fast ones that we think are in the wrong direction. I, you can just right-click them. So yeah. You don't have to drop them ID. Because dropping them ID is a whole other can of worms. Like that, mm -hmm. like you said, allows you to filter items based on mods. But we can just like right-click them without having to pick up and manage scrolls and Love you guys. in our inventory and stuff like that. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate the feedback. Um, We'll keep examining it, but for the time being, we like Wisdom Scrolls, and I think that there's a lot a lot that could be better involving the whole system of like the amount of items you have to look at at the moment. 
Um, and there's a cost to it too and a reward because like you clutter your inventory. I mean, it's a choice. Like whether you see the item being good or not, picking it up still has value because you can sell it for alterations that are then used for this other stuff. Yeah, it's just like, does the item, the wisdom scroll need to be the avenue through which players identify the thing? Uh, I currently have 20,000 voices in my head screaming aura bots at me. Same. Um, yeah. Not wisdom scrolls? Come on. No, no. Um, yeah, the team are looking at that one second. Well, the whiteboard that I can't show you has aura bots in relatively large letters. Um, the team are discussing that. I don't have any news there, right? Like, here's the thing. Chris, opinion type. A person using an aura is not a problem. If you personally choose to put on an aura, it's probably not too broken at the moment. Likewise, if you personally choose to put on a lot of auras with lots of reservation, you're sacrificing quite a lot to do that, and you gain power. So things are fine with the way, the way auras work. The problem is when a teammate, who could normally just be killing monsters alongside you, helping to increase party efficiency, decks himself out in auras, and he's basically completely gimped as a result of it, but then all you guys are powered up by like, you know, 10 times. And then that is a problem that we acknowledge. And so we are trying to make a push in 316 to both have that not be such an encouraged thing, right? You probably some degree of balance adjustments there. I don't know the results yet. Um, in a way that doesn't hurt auras, but also have other ways that you can support party members in a more fun way, because running behind them is not quite as interactive as other options. And so, you know, I don't want to pre-announce too much stuff, otherwise there's nothing to talk about on the live stream, but one of the directions we are looking at is to try to find ways to make parties more interesting, because that means that we can potentially replace the AuraBot stuff with something more interactive. Okay. Um, on the topic of auras, Nick, I know you want to talk about aura stacking on rares specifically, if you're not okay for that. Oh, on rares? Uh, I mean, we, I, yes. I mean, it's um, in PoE. There's a lot of damage spike, damage spikes. Uh, I think, I think auras on rares, especially in the way you're creating leagues as of late. When you look at heist ultimatum that you would like to bring back, uh, the aura stacking on mobs creates scenarios where things run away from you, and the moment you start falling behind. Um, it creates a scenario that is so crazy that um, you basically can't get hit by anything. You can never engage, as you say, you, you would like engage in combat, but actually engaging would immediately get you killed every time. Is there something you've thought about in terms of looking into that? We don't think that rare monster mods are in a good situation at all. One of the changes that we recently moved out of 3.16 into currently 3.17 is to completely replace all rare monster mods in the game with stuff that are easier to understand visually at a glance and uh, kind of, you know, simpler and more impactful so monsters don't have like five properties that will stack in the same way. Maybe a monster does one or two things which could stack in extreme situations, but there's less kind of just general spam of monster stuff going on. This is an early idea that we have, but we're not at all happy with some of the things to do with the, you know, the way that the stuff stacks or the way there's too much stuff to read. And it's just a bit of a mess to try to understand rare monsters. And so we want to improve this. Currently, this is not slated for 3.16 because it's actually quite a lot of work to do it properly. There may be other changes we can make in 3.16 to do with the aura stacking kind of problem on rares. Philosophically, we do like the fact that occasionally content combines together in a way that makes it hard. Having interesting stuff where that guy's fast and hits hard, I should be careful of him, is okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think we all agree on the philosophy there. It's just that it gets a bit out of hand in some cases, and then it's one hit kill zone. I think the main issue has been your leak design. I think that Heist was 
I, I don't, I honestly, I don't even know what you're thinking. Allowing 20 rares to come together, spawning repeatedly. That was yep. crazy. And the same it thing with ultimating. Insane. And it's, it's been a, like a repeating pattern. Mm -hmm. I will say we this, Expedition was a lot better. Thank you. And that was intentional. We reviewed our last leagues and realized we were overusing rare monsters too much because spamming rares is not a way to make an engaging combat. And so right. Expedition was intentionally trying to make that more interesting. And going forward, we will try to as well. And that's honestly one of the things we realized when designing. I keep bringing up hard mode, but when discussing the idea of what should combat actually be like if things were simple, the idea of not having eight rare monsters in front of you at the time is something that came up. And so that's one of our learnings that's going to apply to future leagues. And we will go back and modify other content. In fact, Ultimatum might even be in core right now if it wasn't for the fact that it just jammed a million rare monsters in your face as the way of making it challenging. Um, on the topic of making league mechanics challenging, clearly Expedition was kind of experimental in that design with the introduction of complete immunities to certain damage types or immunities to other things like immunities to curses. Do you think that's been successful? Is is that a valuable thing that's been added to the game? Well, I I feel that if we signaled it correctly, it would be interesting. If we said to you, there's a big pillar in your map, warning, do not click this. It will mean you cannot kill the monsters. But if you find a way of killing them, you will get untold rewards. You know, and you click it and have to fill out a form and fax it to us and stuff. And then you fight the phone. <laughs> With expectations, maybe that would work. That's what remnants are. They, they they screw around with you in exchange for more rewards. And players are like, I'm gonna get all of those. This is too hard. And so communication fail on our part, as I mentioned earlier. The immunities are a thing that you have to look at it and go, I don't deal fire damage. This is free items for me. Versus I do deal fire damage and I want to be angry today. You know? Um a question about Expedition Ultimatum, which kind of bleeds into PB2 stuff. It seems like there's been a like a concerted effort with recent new enemies to kind of move away from on death effects, and it kind of feels like that's how we ended up with the ultimatum case of you weren't challenging us through the enemy dies and kill us, so we'll just have like a hundred rares. Is this something I'm just imagining? Is this a conscious decision, and is this something continuing into the monsters in the Path of Exile two campaign? Right. Could you repeat the beginning of that question? I just had to answer a message. That's so I fine, missed a sorry. sentence. Um, with the last two leagues, there's been a distinct lack of on death effects. In the past, when we've spoken mm -hmm. to Neon and stuff, it's kind of been like, we have to kill players, we go on death effects. It kind of feels like the difficulty of Ultimatum was, we're not using on death effects, we're just going to throw 100 rares at you. Um, is this like an actual pattern, and is this reflective of enemies in PvP? We feel that on death effects used sparingly and very well signaled can be a powerful thing. Of course, if you don't signal them well and it just randomly kills a character, then that's kind of dumb. So um, I we, we really want to be able to use them more in intelligent ways. We are cutting back because players complain. The second you do it, they assume it's done badly, which is fair enough because we have done them badly in the past. And um, I think that it would be terrible for me to promise that we're not doing it anymore because the team desperately want to do it well. I don't know how they're going to do that. That's honestly like something that I'm not usually involved very well in. Like combat stuff is very rarely checked with me, and that's fine because I'm not very good at combat design stuff. I focus on items and more broad picture kind of stuff. So there are a good good set of people who work on combat stuff. I'll try to get them on the podcast at some point to talk to you. Cheers. Um, unless anyone else I think to ask on that point, one thing which I think would be interesting, which we've kind of skirted around, but would you be kind of willing to talk about what it is you actually do at GGG? Because there seems to be a lot of confusion about who's responsible for what. So my responsibility is to make sure that everything is done, 
right? At the end of the day, if the game is bad or something misses a release date or whatever, that was up to me to fix that. And so this means doing a hundred small tasks. Um, occasionally I get to work on the game itself. Occasionally I'll be allocated something like, I don't know, I did the drop rates of the different prophecies way back when and stuff like that. You know, the, I did a balance model for Delve with Azurite and Sulfite and so on. So if that's terrible, that was on me. And this kind of thing, you know, it's 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 dealing with specific game design modeling tasks occasionally when I'm lucky and get to do some work on the game. Um, and of course, the hard mode stuff I get to work with the other founders on, which is quite fun, um, you know, outside of normal hours and stuff. But for the most part, it's basically just approving things and making sure I understand what's going on. Uh, what's an example recently? Like this week's being performance reviews. We're going through each of our staff members and telling them how awesome they are and giving them big pay rises and making sure everyone feels good and hasn't read Reddit and basically is, you know, is, is working as well as they can be. And, um, you know, while also supervising this, like Bex comes to me very frequently with Chris. This is the list of stuff the community needs to be addressed. We try to work out a plan for it, get Mark and the guys involved and work out like coming on this podcast and re revealing some stuff. So I work quite closely with the live operations team in terms of understanding what's being patched in each version of the game, um, you know, approving patch notes, making sure that that stuff's okay. And basically just giving some degree of big picture oversight to things because a lot of people we hire specialists in specific areas. There's someone who goes and works out how all the gambling should work. And there's someone who also goes and works out how the, the Veil mod stuff should work. And if possible, people in my position are trying to just make sure it's relatively cohesive between the departments. Um, yeah, it's kind of a bit of everything. And tax paperwork, lots of that. We've talked a lot about, I guess, community perception and things that you guys are looking to improve. Can you think of anything? And I don't really expect an answer where you guys looked at the feedback of somebody and went just internally as like, nah, they're just wrong about this. They, they're just completely wrong. And it's something that is a popular opinion, for instance, among the community. There's always a seed of truth in it. And it always starts with they're wrong, right? Like we don't release stuff knowing it's wrong, right? The person says something and we go, well, that can't be right. But why are they saying it? What's the reason? And we have to put ourselves in their shoes. And it's often that they're misunderstanding or in some cases misstating things. Like some of the questions, for example, that we were, you know, you know, given as examples of what you guys might ask included a few values that we're like, that's factually incorrect. That cannot happen. But that isn't useful for me to bring up, right? That's a case of thinking, why is the person thinking that this is happening? What are we doing wrong from a signaling point of view? What is it that's causing the player to have this negative experience? It doesn't matter if the number is technically a different number in the game. And so, yeah, we often think that people are wrong with their reports, but there's always a reason why they're motivated by that. And if the reason is just, it's cool to hate on us at the moment, then that is what we must address, right? But we have to get it to the point where everyone is very happy with the direction and feels that we're being transparent with communication and feels that they can trust that the future improvements to the game are in the right direction. Yeah, I think that's it for me. I wanted um, to say, love you, Chris. Sorry if I sounded a little bit confrontational, but you know, okay. I'm nervous and excited. And it's your job. Um, I guess <laughs> my final point on that, which is kind of loosely related to what Rai said, since there does seem to be a real need to improve how communication is going forward, but the reality of the situation is, is that Reddit is in a very dangerous spot right now when it comes to community members or developers or whatever, and you're even having to tell developers not to go to the Reddit. How do you then bridge that gap there? How do you improve the communication? Well, Reddit is a tricky one because like, it actually really makes us quite upset to read it. I know I just crossed off two things on the bingo card. Um, maybe three. <laughs> but, like, 
here's the thing. I am I am a person with strong mental health, right? I've been very blessed in my life of like not really having had any bad episodes, and I use my calm like rock like thing to run the company. And everyone's like, shit's going down, Chris. It's on fire. Why aren't you stressed out? And I'm thinking because I've got to be calm for everyone. But I can't read the Reddit the last few months, right? Like it's even before the recent fire. And so it's cool. I hire people and they read it for me and summarize and tell me which threads to check out and look at the feedback on and say, don't go below post number three. And it's rough. And I, I hate to think how it's affecting some developers that are a bit more fragile, right? Like it, there's so many personal attacks. It's just, but every person there is a passionate player who wants the game to be better for them, if you know what I mean, right? Like these are people who are choosing to spend their time engaging with Path of Exile, either by playing it or by asking us to improve it. And so it's dangerous for us to just say, oh, Reddit is bad. The answer is Reddit needs help and we want to give them the help. You know, like we want her. I don't mean needs help. In a um, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> great. That's going to be the takeaway. Um, you want them to be happy. You want to, yeah, I want to be happy, right? You like. And so our plan here basically is come on as many podcasts as we need to talk to people. I don't have a script. There's no one else has given me any, you know, notices during this stuff, stuff to say and just sort out all the issues. I'll go away, have a big talk to the team, come back, talk to some other people like um, Ziz, Gazzy and stuff will want to have a chat. And so we'll do that, cover different topics and just keep this being a thing. Like I like chatting with the community and I worry that Path of Exile gets bad when I hide, if you know what I mean. The months that I'm sitting there engaging with people and being and letting people know that we're actually listening and paying attention, those are the months where people are happiest with the game. And when people are unhappy and we just go, okay, let's just do some development and keep away from the fire, it just makes it worse. So I need to be here forefront and spending a bunch of time each week actually doing this and um we'll do that as necessary and then ideally once people are happy we'll keep doing it and make sure it's a good relationship in the future i have a final point that i would like to talk about yeah. uh it refers to learned skills in poe so that can either be i've learned to use uh like mana mana builds or ignite builds or i've learned to use a subset of movement skills that have bridged the gap to allow me to play, um, say, a slower build, right? And it also affects racers. So for instance, you nuked Smoke Mine, which was like the stepping stone for the people without massive movement. So there is, you've created this huge gap when it comes to movement skills, because there is a lot of work to there. Uh, you said that you're not sure, but I can guarantee you there is. There is a whole subset of builds that are uh, because they're a little slower or because they are on the wrong side of the tree, struggle. Uh, and there's also an archetype thing there where if you do not inherently have fast attack speed, you're also kind of screwed because there's this inherent like setup that people could gravitate towards. And people have learned how to use these. So when you rob them of their learned skill and say like there's, then they feel even worse when the game is in the state it is. Uh, you talked once about having certain skills like ARC always be viable. And I would also like to know, why did you go away from that? Because you are still essentially completely new king playstyles and options. Mm. The intention is to tone things down. And our team, like whenever we change something, we say to QA, go build this and show us that it's still okay, right? And sometimes we, we possibly fail on that in terms of following through or doing it properly, but the intention is that playstyles still work. We want to take something that's running at 150% and turn it down to 110%. There's a, a loss aversion thing with players where when they hear something's being nerfed, they then assume it's nerfed into the ground. In many cases, it's like, 
you know, like minion characters are still good, even though we repeatedly have nerfed them yeah. in the past. There's this cases like that. And we appreciate people are reasonable about that. The movement skills are still good, right? Like they're still they're still getting you ahead. This is a game that's not designed around yeah. having easy access to movement. Like we looked at teleport in Diablo 2 and said, no, that's not going to be in our game. And then we've essentially got relatively fast movement as a result. And maybe our fault for letting it get out of hand to that point. But like I've played Smoke Mine before and after the changes. And yeah, it's slower now, but it's still a big advantage compared to not using it. And I understand I'm talking about a different league of gameplay here, right? Like you're talking about expert players that are doing far more complicated stuff than I could play in Path of Exile. But we're not trying to destroy builds. We're just trying to fix the cases where there are things that were stand out so much better than the rest. You know, like those three particular movement skills that we targeted were just so much better than the others without having to have any support gems on them. And our goal here was to allow them to you know, to require that they require a bit of investment before they're equivalent. Does that mean that you're okay with the incredible speeds that some people are getting with Lightning Warp that have that basically require a little bit of a larger investment? Because they usually require three, sometimes even four sockets. But it's very fast for the people well, that got it going. Maybe best not to show me that video, but uh, in general, it sounds fine, right? Philosophically, that sounds like the right mm -hmm. direction. Of course, when I say it, I'll probably say, guys, we need to look at this. And that's... <laughs> Yeah, philosophically, I like the idea of people investing if they want to be fast. If you just be fast through one random gem that's in your boots, then maybe that's worse. It's okay. Reddit already hates me, so yeah. okay. I won't complain saying, about me getting it nerfed anyway. Uh, Chad is calling you a bitch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> let's say I'm Oct used to it, you know. <laughs> uh, let's say Octavian Ziggy final questions, then we'll let Chris go because you've had you for three hours now. Um. At, at the risk of being lambasted for missing something, I actually think that the questions I had going into the podcast have been answered at this point. Um, I, I, a lot of it was like the clicking oriented stuff and we did we did get some pretty meaningful information on that. So I'm going to toss it to Ziggy. There's stuff, there's big stuff I really want to circle back on in the future. Um, like what you said with the uh, picking up of items and stuff like that and item pickup range and stuff not being an issue in light of other potential changes. Um, well, I look forward to trying out the proposed changes and then seeing how I feel at that point and mm. then maybe coming back to that in the future if it's still problematic. So I'm right, hoping that goes a long way towards it. I should emphasize a lot of the stuff we discussed is going to take several leagues, right? Like I've given you specific plans that are discussing for 316. Expect some of that to get dropped or pushed to 317 based on time. Like bear in mind, this is all on top of our existing 316 plan that I've tried not to talk about here. Like there's this cool stuff happening that I haven't touched on. And then we've come up with the stuff to deal with the 315 fire, most of which we'll hopefully get in. But then the longer term plans like, you know, trying to address the item system, it's not going to be dramatically different in 316. We're hopefully moving in the right direction. But there is a leeway here. Uh, so there's a, there's a lead time here. And part of it is the flasks thing was, was an issue because we did it and then released it without testing. Like maybe the smartest thing for us to do is to make the changes and then test it internally for a full cycle, if you see what I mean, or throw it on alpha way early and actually be slower to address your problems so as not to ruin the game in the process. Um, Chad's got a good point that you might guys might have to sweep in and save the wiki at some point. It's kind of so, a bit of a disaster over there. I know other devs in the past have kind of taken on that role themselves of like getting a uh, wiki up and running on their end. Um, right. If the community one has mm -hmm. kind of fallen apart. If anything, Path of Exile seems like a prime target for that, given the fact that there's a lot of information that could be critical to a build, but isn't necessarily communicated in game directly through like hovering mm -hmm. a gem or whatever. Well, I do like the idea of improving what's available in game. But of course, that's, you know, UI stuff is always slow and so on to 
to do. Could someone who understands what's going on with the wiki stuff please email me, chris at grandinggear.com with a detailed explanation of everything that's wrong so I can get people to look into it? Because I am loosely aware of this, but have been keeping out of the drama recently. So, yeah. Um, I guess Thanks. as a final sort of like closing statement. So obviously it's been a really an amazing opportunity having this conversation with you. Um, but it's a little frustration, frustrating that it's come out of such a massive hellfire. Would it be possible to establish more like round council public discussions like this going forward, even when a league is being received well? Yeah, I'd be look, I'd be happy to do it frequently, right? Like I'm expecting next week we'll do another one, then we'll do another and so on. But even when it's going well, it'd be nice to like I enjoy this. I was looking forward to this despite the fact that people are wishing me luck and patting me on the back and, you know, intentionally not being here. Um, You're like it's... standing on the table saluting you as you walk in. You wished of... us luck. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, I'm happy to yeah. do it under happier circumstances. Okay. I appreciate specifically that you uh, and GGG encouraged us this time to, uh, I don't know how you phrase it exactly, but to like go hard on you. To your, well, what, to I don't want, a little bit. what I don't want is people assuming that this is some kind of scripted thing where you pulled all the punches and didn't particularly ask questions. Like if you have more questions, ask them, you know, I've got some more minutes. So if there's anything you want to know. Okay. Why can monsters crit? It's not fair. <laughs> I don't like it. I kind of it, agree. Yeah. Uber Ziri crit me and I died. It wasn't good. I mean, I shouldn't have gotten hit, but it's like take a look at D and D doesn't allow crits on monsters. I don't think, or it's a separate rule set that's optional. No, they, they I think. Cool. Like, I've been crazy. We, we can discuss. Hurts. We can discuss it's not this. Not like a thing. You can disable or something. Anyway. The intention is the homogenization of damage. Like, let's say you take this to a silly extreme and you remove crits and then you make monsters have a narrow damage range and then it's a constant flow of damage and you know you have enough regen or whatever to get through it. Like, it you need spikes in there. You know. Uh, I think the issue comes into play where crits are not something that are telegraphed at all. Like or that spear that's flying, yeah, that, that spear that's flying at you could be just a regular hit, and it could be a crit, and like there is actually zero way to tell. Maybe the crit multiplier needs to be adjusted. Maybe maybe have the crits be more often so they're kind of reliable, and it's a bit more of a spike, but not insane. Maybe right, <laughs> like the. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> we've, made, we've made this a big deal now, so I'm sure the team will discuss it. If you could, if you could make it so, I, I thought your response to the ailment stuff, especially, was super good. Outside of maybe cluster jewels that I do think to this day are very problematic in the way that they are implemented, despite being an awesome item. But yeah, more ways of investing. You know, I don't want to get crit. I want options to not get yep. crit, even if it costs me resources in other places. Yep. By the way, I, I just thought of something to talk about this completely off topic, but I wanted to mention for one second. We ran a Royale test on the before the league launched, and it had lots of players. And then we ran one on the first weekend after launch. The, that's the second weekend. And the problem we had on that weekend was, A, everyone's playing the league, which is good. I, you know, I'm very happy for people to be playing the league. But the few people that wanted to play Royale at the time couldn't get into games because um, we had the, the game separated by gateway. So you're in Europe, and there's Milan and Frankfurt and Paris and a million other small cities, each with their own. Yes, I understand Australia is terrible, Ziggy. No, um, I, I, I have yes. a, I know, I almost feel like I just want to jump straight in and be like, uh, can we queue while we're playing the game? I feel I'll like it will help a lot. Okay, cool. The thing is, so weekend one, lots of players, games triggered fast, everyone has a good time, apart from that whole blight meta thing, right? So weekend two, 
Real's in a better place. People try to play, but because there are fewer players due to more people playing the new league, which is understandable, it was hard to get into games. And so people quickly try to play, realize they can't, and then they don't try anymore. So lots of people would queue for a bit, wait a while, and then not try. So there's quite a big drop-off of people learning, fuck it, I can't play Royale. So what we did is we combined those together. So most of Europe is together, most of America is together, making it a lot easier to get into games if we have a critical mass of players. Weekend 3 comes along, but people learned in Weekend 2, don't bother with Royale because there are no games. So not, you know, we did communicate, we'd combine the things, but we didn't say, therefore you should try playing it again. So if you are interested in Royale, do not assume that it's impossible to get a game, because enough of you guys actually try to play, then it will be really easy to get games. So for Weekend 4, give it a shot. The, the grouping of the gateways should actually help a lot with that. Um, just, yeah, I just wanted to mention that. With don't Sorry, make the that? main gateway for Europe Frankfurt, okay? It doesn't work. It's, <laughs> it wouldn't be good, all right? Some oh, other gateway, No, please. this is, sorry, this is really important about gateway. I get this all the time. Uh, South Africa. Mm -hmm. They've got, like, no available gateways to them. It's, like, constant 150 MS ping. This has been something that I've seen uh, for years and years and years. What is the situation there? So I haven't talked to the server admins about it recently, but last time I checked, none of the providers we were using had South African data centers available. I'll bring it up again, but the problem if we just trust some random data center is then we get outages. Like we need to have a reliable connection from that data center to our other ones. Otherwise the entire data center drops everyone constantly. Like the way the path of Excel is architected is basically if there isn't good communication between the actual data centers, you dupe items and we don't allow that. So we just drop all the players whenever there's a possibility of items getting duped. And so we'd rather drop a thousand players on the ground than have economic abuse. And because of that, we need to have a reliable connection, which we have to most countries in the world. And my understanding is we haven't got a good solution for South Africa yet. So that's that one. Um, you asked a question with Royale about queuing in the game client. Sounds great. I would love that. It's just really difficult because you're queuing on a different character than the one you're playing, right? So we mm -hmm. looked into the option of having it so you say, tell me when there's a game about to trigger, right? So that's cool. So you're playing your game, and then it says, hey, look, there's a real game about to trigger, so you know to log out and log into it. The problem is that as soon as that solves the problem, suddenly it's warning you about games that are immediately full. Like, it's not a great solution. You, rather than telling you, because it's going to be frustrating for you to try to join that game and it's full at that point, the solution does actually involve the proper intentionally queuing on a different character. Which is a major server re-architecture change, unfortunately, so that's not going to be fast. And we're in a bit of a chicken and egg situation where right now the real player base is honestly pretty low, as you can see. Like it's, you know, it was big on the first weekend, but people aren't really playing it at the moment. Though I would like them to try it next weekend now that we have the combined regions together, because I think that will help make games trigger and it'll be a lot better. But because the player base is relatively low, it may not be worth the significant re-engineering required to get the change in that helps the player base grow. So we have to choose to invest in that or not. Um, that's kind of the thing with Royale mode is it's like somewhat self-defeating in a way if like people don't get a match in two minutes and they don't queue up and that means other people don't get a match in two minutes and they don't queue up so it kind of like critical mass or snowballs in either direction yeah. um, I will say there was like a little positive thing whoever's been balancing Royale is doing a very good job thank you they, they feel like they're yeah. super on the pulse Like nice. I'm just waiting for the stream delay and he's going to smile in about 10 seconds <laughs> <laughs> Love the work, keep it up. There he is. I got the smile. Okay, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can I can reduce everybody's smile and uh, talk about uh, cluster jewels. Why the Path of Exile skill tree is the most prized jewel of this game. Anytime there's a balance issue that affects everything, you guys add shit to the skill tree and it always works. Without exception, it's always been great. Cluster jewels, a fantastic addition that's gated behind. Delirium that 
it just doesn't seem accessible. You guys keep nerfing these cluster jewels, and they're still so popular. They are pretty much built into making skill trees in PoE now. Why are they still gated behind Delirium and so inaccessible when they clearly enable characters to work in the first place in many cases? We have a situation here where we're being told something in the core drop pool is a problem because we want to have a way of getting it, to chase it. We want more items that are chaseable on specific bosses or content. And then we have a thing that's on specific content where it's really clear where to get it. And the solution is don't gate it in that content, put it in the main drop pool. And I'm sorry for like twisting your words. I get the point. I'll, no, I'll bring no, up sure. the thing. Yeah, I'll, I'll bring it up with the team. Um, we have to find the right place for it. I kind of feel it could go in the core game. Cluster jewels are, are you know, a core thing, right? Like, I wouldn't be opposed to that. I'm not going to stand in the way, but there are smarter people who know more about this who probably do need to weigh in on that one before I promise it. What you said rings exactly true, though, on that point. And I have the exact same issue with cluster jewels as I do with the current implementation of Flask, because earlier in the podcast, you said that uh, the implementation of the new Flask currency is fixed because I guess that was assumed that the bench crafting stuff is already in the game, which is not. And this is the same thing where cluster jewels are farmable, but to get the right one is so impossible to get. And not to mention that it's way better to do heist than actually doing delirium for them and stuff like that. That, yeah, it just doesn't really end up landing. Yep, it needs work. I completely agree. Awesome. Um, a low priority question but that I did want to talk about was... Uh going to the MTX discussion. So loot boxes, some people disagree on how much, but they're well known to be predatory in nature. It's very common nearly every single league. You'll see someone like Quinn or Zinn drop thousands of dollars and still not finish a set. Why do you feel comfortable using such a unethical, in many players' eyes, form of monetization in Path of Exile? So the two things that we do there voluntarily to, to help with that are that um, first of all, everything that's released through the mystery boxes is available on the shop later on, right? This is not exclusive content. It is entirely possible for you to say, you know what, I'm not interested in engaging with that mechanic. I'm going to wait. Secondly, our customer support team work with big spenders who we believe are engaging in bad behavior to discuss with them the fact that their purchases are probably a poor choice and in some cases just turning it off, right? Like we specifically ask them to make sure that this is a that this is handled as well as possible. There are players who enjoy this. When we discuss the idea of what if we just released all these micros at full price, players say, your micros are too expensive, I wouldn't buy them. Getting them for $3 each is actually really good value for those players. Um, there are people who like the idea of chasing things down. Many people who want to support the game like the idea of getting a lot of enjoyment out of the process of doing it that way. And so, like, I agree. Like the, I, I have mixed feelings here, right? I think gambling is a terrible thing that destroys families and it's easy to be addictive and it's very dangerous and so on. Um, having personally come from a background of playing Magic the Gathering, I personally enjoy spending $3 to have a random chance at getting something that might be good, including duplicates in that game. But we've tried very hard here to make this to be an optional thing. And honestly, my expectation is over time the legislation will decide that it's not okay, and that makes the decision easy for us. As it stands at the moment, if we said, okay, guys, we're just going to release some in the shop, there's a chance that we lobotomize our revenue in a way that makes, like, it jeopardizes POE2 or something like that. You know, it's something we have to be careful about, right? Like, I'd love to stand up in front of the company and say, we get some good PR by canceling this whole loot box thing. But that could just be a major, major mistake from a financial point of view. And, you know, the, the company has always had shareholders who aren't me. So I have to be careful not to accidentally unilaterally make decisions based on my personal ethical preferences that could affect other people's livelihoods. And so... It's an ongoing discussion, but we'll continue to make sure that that monetization is done as fairly and ethically as possible. 
Rather so, than waiting for the legislation to force your hand and just kind of accept, I'm uncomfortable with it, but it makes money, why not work towards making the system at least more ethical? So I'm aware of other games have it, so once you spend a certain amount, you're guaranteed to get everything. Like, I would rather there weren't any loot boxes at all, but you could make the current system better in the way that, you know, being able to trade in duplicates or just something so that, yeah, people are still going to spend too much money. And I appreciate the sentiment of having support reaching out to players. Um, and saying maybe you're spending too much, but if you're at a bar and you see a guy on his 50th drink and you say maybe I think you should stop, mate, he'll just reach for another drink. Oh, yeah, we've certainly turned it off for players, right? Like, you know, there's a button that we'll press before they do in cases where it's clearly a problem. But I agree, like, unlocking it when you hit a certain threshold is something we have been discussing. Um, it's really tricky to modify monetization stuff, like the supporter pack example, right, which I'm surprised hasn't been brought up yet. Um, this is a case of us now i understand the narrative on the internet is we made the packs worse by changing all the ratios and now it's a bad deal but the reality is we took the contents of the packs we've been doing consistently for some time which i'll get back to in one second and we added a new tier with more stuff in it right the intention is we've got the 30 and 60 and we were getting feedback from players that they wanted the option to spend 90 dollars without getting the 30 of the other one and we were getting feedback from the people that have bought both of the 60 dollar packs saying they wanted a way of spending more money and so we introduced the 90 dollar tier with some extra stuff and that was successful. People are upgrading to the $90 tier, and it's good, except the impression on the internet is that we ruined the value of the packs. And this is an example here of where changing something innocuously to do with monetization causes people to be angry. And I fear that even with mystery boxes, if we added something beneficial, it would cause anger. Like maybe there's some guy that bought a lot of boxes in the past who now feels upset that people are getting all the stuff for buying less now. Um, Briefly touching on the fact that there are players out there, I'm certain, saying, but wait, you did ruin the value of the supporter packs. What are you talking about? There were, there was at least one pack in the past where the composition of the $30 pack was significantly better value. And that was either an experiment or a mistake. I can't remember. There was one that was an experiment and one that was a mistake where we were looking to see how people would react to different pack compositions. And very much like harvest crafting, once you've done something once, people will remember it forever when comparing in the future. And so this is the case where if you cherry pick a specific supporter pack from several years ago and look at the value proposition of that versus the current $30 one, they'll see that that particular one had wings rather than a weapon effect. And wings might sell for $32 in the store, whereas a weapon effect sells for $18. Um, the reality is the $30 supporter pack is a way of getting a title and various other stuff. Um, and the $5 difference between what you spend in terms of points and the cost of the pack gets you an $18 weapon effect, which we perceive to be pretty good value, and it's a good jumping off ground for the later ones. This is prompting a lot of discussion internally about maybe the right answer is just to give $30 of points with a $30 pack, which does change the economics quite a lot, and we can't make that change particularly easily, but we are discussing it to try to solve the fact that people feel there's a value problem there. Anyway, I know I'm just ranting about a thing you guys didn't even bring up, but I was feeling a bit defensive yeah, about it. Right. Um, I think uh, the main cool. thing from that as far as, and you're welcome to correct me, but I always vaguely remember it was kind of like for the $30 pack, you'd get like a weapon effect plus something like a wings or a pet or a portal. And then with 60, you'd get like the full armor set and then the missing portal or wings or whatever. And now yeah, it kind of feels like it. you need to buy the $90 pack to get the portal and stuff like that. I understand that's how it feels, but we've our, our thing with the $30 packs was basically you get $25 a point and one thing. And in the past, we have given more than one at least once, and that's anchored it to the point where that's what people believe we were doing for all of them. Like, I suspect if you go through and look at a series of $30 ones, you'll see that this is what we've been doing for a while. But look, if the, if the market says this isn't enough for that value, then we'll obviously have to we'll have to adapt to that. Um, and as a follow up to that, there's been a recent trend of misrepresentative MTX. 
Um, we've had multiple supporter packs where it's like, oh, this looks absolutely amazing in the video. And then you get it in game and it's completely different. We've also had this very recently with an Exanuate MTX where the mm. promo footage looked one way. It was completely different in game. And the messaging and response that was, oh, no, this is intended. Yes, if you message us, you can get a refund, which is good that you offered that refund. But it's it, you're putting the extra steps and the onus on the consumer to solve a mistake you made in the marketing. Right. Well, to explain briefly, um, the one that the supporter pack, which had the lighting issue, basically the video guys took the supporter pack, found some place where it looks cool in game, filled the video, we released it, right? And if you take that supporter pack and you go to that area, it looks like it does in the video. The problem is in other areas, especially ones with harsh lighting, it doesn't look particularly great. And this is a thing where like, not trying to defend it, it, it was misrepresentative as not to show more areas and we did try to address that in the video. But when someone has a product, like it's a new handbag or an iPhone or something, they get good lighting conditions and get a hand model who's attractive to hold the thing and try to make it as good as possible, often just using 3D renders. And so our, the, the mistake we made on our end was to pick an environment where it looked especially dark and moody, which is somewhat different than how it would look in the rest of the game. So we've learned we have to show it in a variety of areas. We're probably never going to show it in the worst, harsh, nastiest lighting in the game to make it look absolutely terrible, but we will show it in a variety so you get an idea of how it adapts to lighting and stuff. That was a mistake. It was, you know, a last minute thing, unfortunately, to do with release crunch. I personally reviewed the video and did not think to myself, I wonder how this looks in other areas. I thought, I need to buy these tomorrow. Um, and so that that was a terrible mistake. With regard to the Exsanguinate one, that was quite interesting because what happened there is we care a lot about performance, and this means going through effects, including microtransactions, because they can perform badly, and turning on support for like dynamic culling and so on. So if there's too many effects playing in a certain area, it will make it more efficient. Now, in some cases, this can make it look worse. And there was a problem here where the dynamic culling was especially bad with Exsanguinate, like just due to mistakes and so on that made it look worse, and dynamic culling was not turned on when we filmed the video. And so... We film a version of it where it looks completely normal and players who are playing without dynamic culling on get exactly that experience, but those that are get something that looks substantially worse. Now, to some extent, everything in the game looks marginally worse with dynamic culling on, but you're not supposed to be able to notice. Um, with regard to the communication there, like I remember I was literally in a meeting, there were multiple people messaging me, someone opens the door and like it summarizes in one sentence, are we doing refunds for this? I'm like, yeah, get the refunds, we'll sort it out soon. And then the message got posted, and then as soon as we had a second, we're like, okay, what actually happened here? Right, okay, we can fix the dynamic culling to not be so bad. And so the intention is that we are fixing that effect to be what people want. But due to communication and trying to respond to the fire quickly, we got a half thought out thing. And the right thing for me to do would be like, okay, this is a major problem to do with our monetization right now. Meeting is over, what's the situation? Work it out and answer it. But, you know, it didn't happen that way. Um, I um, want to circle back to the duplicate box question. But on that point, it has been a frustration. I've spoken to you about this before in previous episodes. You've said we'll improve and we'll do better. But skills keep being made, which just aren't actually playable in the reality of the game. Storm Rain is an amazing example. Everyone who saw Storm Rain in the initial trailer thought, that looks like a really exciting skill to use. And the skill even says 100 arrows. So it's challenging players, but 100 arrows it's impossible to play that skill. And it was said it would be looked at. And why do we have to keep, you know, championing for skills being, having better visibility, not hurting our eyes? Like, why do they just keep going like that way? So with Storm Rain, do you, what do you mean by it's impossible to play? Do you mean it's underwhelming damage? Uh, no, no, the, the pure visual clutter of it. Um, right, as in, it's it, too it, oppressive it, to look at. It's, yeah, you've, yes. just, you've got this giant blue thing that zaps and you're meant to have a hundred of them at once. 
every content creator I know who's tried to play the skill has had to say, I cannot recommend this to my viewers because it just brings, like, it just burns your eyes. Okay, this is the first I've heard that feedback myself, but yeah, that's not okay for it to be like that. Um, I think that, I think that we probably do need to have, well, here's the thing. We have a robust process here where, like, Bex is summarizing all of the things from the community and bringing it to us and we discuss it, right? This is, there's pages of feedback here, pages and pages and pages that we go through that cause changes, the fast reactions to um, expedition changes, the very presence of this podcast and stuff is instigated by the list of things the community want us to address. But yet, I have not seen Storm Rain mentioned here, right? Why is that? Were there big Reddit threads and our community team decided not to summarize those ones? Were that, was it just not prominent enough um there whatever have been that multiple videos multiple reddit threads and i've personally sent that feedback to members of ggg and that's just for okay. me my assurance yeah well look it, it shouldn't need to go through me to get this to get it fixed right like ideally someone fixes it and then it gets released like it if everything has to happen where i'm like guys this is unacceptable we're going to sort this out then it will be very inefficient but um yeah we do need to make sure that that's okay yeah bex tells me it isn't a list that i've seen okay either way we'll work on this um it's it's hard when there are a thousand problems to fix that we'll fix a lot of them and there's five that are completely ignored and then it looks really terrible. So yeah, my apologies. That's right. And I know I'm going hard for you, but it's stuff I care a lot about. So just because okay. we kind of moved away from it, for the duplicate boxes and then I'm done, I'm, I'm not saying anything Wait, else. One Supposedly the Storm Rain fixes have been in progress for a week or so and should be released soon is what I'm hearing from the team. And wait, fixed in the next patch. So there we go. No, there we go. Brilliant. Nice. Um... Did you have you had something else, Turkey? Oh yeah, so we kind of we we touched on it and then we moved away because we talked about the supporter packs. So I can understand it's dangerous to touch the monetization, but why can't there be anything to improve the duplicates of loot boxes? You then you still have your kind of unethical system, people still getting a lot of money, but it's slightly fairer. So the issue is that we did the math on what would have to happen for people to be able to cash in duplicates. We did the math, and it was relatively punitive because at the end of the day, they've paid 20 15% of the price of the average microtransaction in the box, and they're getting a duplicate, and we can't give them the full value of that duplicate back. Otherwise, the way the system works is you buy something, and if you don't want it, you trash it, and then you buy it again, you know, getting full value back. You have to give someone a fraction of the value of the thing they've paid a fraction of the retail price for. So we made it, the salvage box, right? The intention was that you can salvage your stuff. And I agree, it probably shouldn't have been something that was sold, but we did all the math to be fair. And it was possibly the worst transgression we've done so far in terms of community reaction. We just turned that off after a few hours, despite it taking a lot of work. And so the problem is that implicitly, because of the good value that the boxes represent, the duplicates are not worth a lot of money, unfortunately. And so the ability to combine them together is going to make people think we are incredibly evil at whatever ratio we pick. Um, maybe we should still do that. Maybe we should find a way. Maybe it's just going to be some numeric thing where you trash a thousand duplicates and you get a cool trash golem or something like that. I don't know. We could work something out, but you know, people have to understand that it's not going to be the case that I feel like I've just trashed a thirty-two dollar wing, so I want another thirty-two dollar microtransaction because the reality is you paid three dollars for that. Yeah. Um, huh? Just finally, sorry, I keep saying I'm going to add something. Um, <laughs> Because you use Magic the Gathering as a big like example of this, and you love the excitement of you open up a booster pack. But the thing with Magic is you could then sell on your duplicate cards. And I do think that having some way that it's like, well, I've got these 11 pairs of boots I can't do anything with. Yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, that is very true. And we definitely don't want to get into the market of allowing people to sell microtransactions because then bad stuff happens. Um, 
to springboard off of a comment that was made earlier when talking about the Aesir pack specifically and, and how the lighting for that photo wasn't great, you made an analogy that, you know, like a company that sells a handbag or a company that sells a t-shirt is going to put out promotional material that, you know, gives it the best chance of being sold, puts it in the best light. But I would say that the main difference there is that if I'm buying a handbag and I'm in a shop, I can pick up the handbag and turn it around and look at it. And, you know, I can manipulate the thing and maybe put it in a slightly worse light or get, take it out for a, a test ride if it's something like a bicycle or whatever. Physical products that I'm buying, I can, you know, physically look at. But you don't have that advantage in the microtransaction store. Is there any hope of seeing a, like, try it before you buy it sort of experience with MTX coming to the game? It's just that it's difficult to implement, right? Like it's a big system and it's one of those things where when we try to work out a plan for it, we realize the same amount of effort could get us a lot of actual gameplay content. And so it's rare for us to make significant investments in trying to improve our sales. Like imagine if our microtransaction shop had like, you know, similar items or something like that. So you buy a fire themed thing and it suggests some other fire themed things to you. Like that would probably make us a lot of money. It's probably something I should get people on today. Probably should be doing the dressing room thing you're talking about, but at the end of the day, we just don't really prioritize our monetization stuff. And it's probably because I'm a bad businessman, but I kind of like working on the game, to be honest. So, yeah, we probably will. I mean, it's something we're talking about for POE2. Like, um, in POE2 on the login screen, when you're looking at your characters, they're fully dressed up in their items and they've got their micros on and stuff. And we're going to be making it so you can buy micros from the login screen. It's not too hard to make it so you can see what it would look like on your character. We're not opposed to that. Like, I'm not going to, you know, pretend that if people can see what it looks like they're not going to buy it and therefore we'll make more money by hiding that information and we're scamming people like it is an improvement to the game we just need to actually do it at some stage okay uh, last thing on the monetizations given given that you are reliant on the loot boxes um and given that you also see the ethical problems uh, in that respect um Laws are coming into place, uh, more places, and it could go away. Uh, and let's say that goes through faster than you expect. Are you then looking forward to creating new avenues for monetization? So I wouldn't say we're reliant on the mystery box sales. It's just that it represents, and this is a complete guess because I don't know the current numbers, but maybe a third of our microtransaction spend. It's like a third on stash tabs, a third on mystery boxes, a third on other stuff kind of thing. Um, and it would suck to lose that, but it doesn't sink the company. It just means we have to, you know, see what happens if we provide these as purchasable options. It may be that we make more money by saying these are full price, just go and buy them if you want to, these cool sets. Maybe there's something else. We are open to other monetization options, but the ones that people suggest frequently, like uh, season passes or battle passes, for example, have their own set of issues. Like, I would love to do a battle pass. I hear you make great money from those. Um, Problem is, here's the thing, we sell supporter packs, and when you buy a supporter pack, you get the microtransactions instantly. We also have challenges in-game for free, which you don't have to pay for, which provide you with microtransactions when you complete them. And so a battle pass of pay us some money, get microtransactions later, and you only get the challenges if you bought it, and blah, 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 feels like a step backwards on all fronts. Like, I know what the Reddit thread's going to say, and I agree 100% with the words they're going to write if we do that. And so... We have to be very careful of the fact we currently give people battle passes for free, essentially, and have supporter packs that give you the contents right away. And if someone can think of a smart way, um, actually, Bex has had some good ideas internally, which we haven't fully followed through on. But if someone can think of a smart way to do battle passes that makes people happy and doesn't involve us having to come up with 80 challenges when 40 is sometimes a push, I'd love to hear the suggestions. I wasn't necessarily suggesting battle passes, yeah. more like if you had some ideas. 
Yeah, and I was also opening that up to the community. Like, just email me if you right. have good ideas for monetization rather than putting you guys on the spot. I mean, you could finally get the merchandise <laughs> store running. Yeah, our thinking there, by the way, is we're probably going to be using um, Jinx for that. They've been so good with doing our merchandise for so many years and made some great stuff for XLCon. We're probably going to have a merchandise store that they run because they're actually quite good at selling merchandise and it's their core business. And that way, you know, we wouldn't really be doing it for money. We'd be doing it so people can get merchandise. And so we're putting some stuff together for that. But we don't really feel it's worth the time having our office full of boxes and people moving T-shirts around and stuff. Because at the end of the day, like a good year of selling T-shirts and you make a few hundred grand, you're like, yeah, I made a few hundred grand. But realistically, the game does make quite a lot more than that. So we would need to focus on the game and let the you know, apparel experts deal with merchandise. So yeah, we want a store. It just won't be a big priority internally for us. It'll be something that's run so that people get some cool gear to show their friends and stuff. Okay. Um, Going back to a little bit more gameplay-related issue, uh, what do you guys think about, well, what does GTG think about uh, build diversity? So basically with this recent patch, there was a huge issue, and we've talked a little bit around this, but there was a big issue with characters that were barely functional previously, now not working at all due to the nerfs, and it seemed like the whole thing was like incredibly heavy-handed. Uh, it affected so many builds. There were nerfs coming from every single direction. Is GGG all right with 60% of the player base playing a single skill as long as it's fun? Or would they rather have that be spread out a lot more? Well, I have to go in a sec, so I just mentioned that before I answer this. Um, we talked about this a bunch actually in preparation for this because we knew it was likely to come up. And there's a few there's a few things here, right? Like, yeah, I'm not denying at all that there were possibly builds that were harmed. You know, we... We're meant to have checked builds and made sure that there was little collateral damage, but it's likely that there was, and that's something we're looking at, and it's not a desirable impact, you know, intention of this. With regard to 60% of people playing the same build, one thing to bear in mind is that from our analysis right now, we are seeing a greater degree of diversity that we have for a very, very long time. Like As far as we're concerned, like actually looking at player data on our end, the changes we made did a great job for diversity in the meta. But you have to bear in mind that the presence of POE Ninja that lets you look at what top players are playing causes it to look like top players are all playing the same thing, which they are. Like, I'm not saying that it's lying, but you get a situation where like, oh, I'm going to play this league. What should I play? The best people are playing this build, so I'm going to play that. Now I'm an extra statistic there, right? So you can present 10 or 100 perfectly balanced builds and someone will pick one and does well, so more people pile onto that one. And it's a self-reinforcing echo chamber. And if they're having fun, that's great. But there are a lot of viable builds at the moment. Like our team are very confident when they tell me, you can say that there are a lot of viable builds. I can't what if I, what if I tell you that the reason why people there's so much build diversity is because people literally think that everything sucks and they're desperately looking for something that works for them? Is that necessary? I mean, I don't want people to think everything sucks, but is it a problem for people to be exploring the builds? Like they complained before, there's no exploration left. It's exactly solved. You introduce a couple of new skills, we quickly analyze them and say they're bad or good, and the meta is exactly the same. Right now, there's a lot of confusion in the meta, and I think that might be a bad thing. Like. Like we achieved our goal of more build diversity from the, you know, from people trying stuff out, but I'm not sure it's great for the game. Like to some extent, you being able to play a league and knowing what you're going to play and have fun might be a good thing, right? Maybe some of the initial drop of players is because people see the craziness and go, I don't have any real idea what I'm doing. I'm just going to skip this one and next league I can watch this video and see whether I'm playing Essence Strain again or something. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> haven't you guys explicitly said as much? I, I don't remember if it was in a Bayclast episode or some other appearance that you made. But I believe it was around the time when Ark was super powerful. You said that you had explicitly not touched it very much so that people would have a comfort pick to go back to. 
Yeah, it is it is helpful to have a comfort pick there. And look, I'm sure it looks really all over the place what our decisions are here, but we wanted a big meta shift up here, right? People who were talking about the meta, we knew that with the balance changes and the flask stuff and all the mana costing, it was hard for us to maintain any degree of, you know, the same set of fills. And so there was a big shakeup. Um, maybe that wasn't positive for the game, right? Maybe a few people had this great time. Um, a gentleman talks to me on Discord about all the build investigation that he's doing and um, you know, long explanations of all the things he's trying out. And that's the experience I want more people to have. But it might be that him and 20 other people are very happy with exploring everything and everyone else is frustrated that their build is broken and wants a new meta want to play. One, um, of the, one of the reasons that people are having such a hard time and why they're gravitating to certain builds is that you have stripped a lot of the fences out of the game. Like they're very isolated in a few areas. And if you aren't like block or dodge or evasion, like Raider Glad, um, Trickster, Necromancer, it becomes increasingly difficult to find your way around actually having some tools that you can then use. So people find that they might get enough damage, but they really struggle with the uh, new implementations you've made, especially ailments. Uh, but also just like surviving. Jade and Granite Flask and Basalt represented so much of like the average mitigation that someone had and stripping that and not giving them anything back makes that really difficult, reducing a lot of the, the build diversity. I understand. Yeah, we've, we've covered elements in detail, but you're completely right that people are worried about the other defensive stuff and I hear it and I will pass it on to the team and try to give you a better answer. And what's yeah. likely to happen is this is something that we haven't pre-prepared enough of a you know response to basically. And so when we do our next one of these with the community, maybe like this is one next week or whatever, it's something we may be able to talk about in more detail. So I'm hoping that we continue the dialogue, get you more information about those things because we can only solve things at a human pace if you see what I mean. I'm very aware that you need to go. So I just want to thank you for your time and hopefully we can do this again soon. Three and a half really hours of grilling, Chris. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll get used to it as part of my daily, as part of my weekly routine. Um, <laughs> all right, thanks. Just everyone. make a good game. Come on, Chris. Don't get used to it. Just make a good game, lol. This means buff Sunder, right? <laughs> hey. I wouldn't be opposed. <laughs> yeah. Right, thanks, Reverse everyone. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye. Thank you. See you later. Bye. <sighs> I think we did pretty decent. I think I'm exhausted. Yeah. yeah, I think that's going to be plenty of like people on both sides of it. People being satisfied with like how yeah. that went and satisfied. Oh, with I mean, I'm sure there's already. Uh, then people are unsatisfied with the answers. Like, yeah. People unsatisfied with the questions. I'm, I'm sure there's things that we missed. I mean, we only had what three hours and change to yeah. talk, and the game has so many topics to get to. But that's, I mean, it's a good thing that they're doing more of this. You know, yeah, I'm we, sure things that we missed that are really important. Oh, yeah, will get brought up in in the community over the course of the next week and. Zizaran will be able to address them on his his show and going forwards whatever other podcasts and shows are done yeah i definitely would have like pushed more in certain areas if the entire show was dedicated to that one specific yeah. topic you know like i would have pushed further and deeper on trade and deterministic crafting and clicking and stuff like that but i think we went like yeah. fairly deep on that stuff and at least like have an idea of where they're at on it and i mean we got some really cool announcements today as well in terms of changes they're making in the very near future <laughs> that is actually uh pretty exciting stuff looking Massive forward to the atlas changes um one thing i want to include because this will go into the youtube uh, video yeah there's a i would have very happily have just spent like three hours just on flasks and honestly with path of exile it's very easy to do that so if it felt like we kind of blasted through things a bit it's just because that is the reality of what you have to do to get all the questions yeah out there. um sadly yeah and there's still like a million more yeah, there's still some Sorry stuff on the that. topic list we didn't get to. Yeah. I, I Sorry appreciate for that. Sorry the comms <laughs> a little bit. <laughs>
It sounded like Chris was making a commitment to keeping more of an ongoing discussion about this stuff. Like he's already basically announced that he's going on what one or two other shows in the near future. So that's good. Yeah. And that should hopefully give the diversity that a lot of you have been asking for as well. Like I know some of you don't feel like we even necessarily represent your specific opinions, but hopefully more shows, more people. Yeah, give, um, give your feedback, you know, like yep. if you're, if the questions you are really passionate about did not get answered today, put, put them on the Reddit, put them in places where they'll be found by other people doing this kind of thing and then they'll get answered. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I guess that's the, that's the end of the YouTube video. I'm exhausted. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty knackered.